Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, April 9th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Yowza. And joining us, Mara Wood. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being Johnny on the spot, Mara, with your hello. Um, Stephanie is travel-worn. And not prepared to do the show, so uh, she asked if we could find a replacement, and we found a great one in mm-hmm. Mara for tonight. Um, I'm very excited about tonight's show, because we are reviewing Captain America, The Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. uh, the latest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we'll get to that in the second half of the show. But first, we got to talk about some comic books today. I'm getting <laughs> right into it, because um, I want to talk about books, and then maybe we'll do a little news. And then we'll go into the topic. Switching it up a little bit. Holy mm. shit. Playing with people's expectations. <laughs> Playing with my emotions, man. <laughs> um, so, Mara, let me ask you. Have you gotten to read any books? Because I know that you have been working hard on schoolwork. Tell, give the listeners an update on, on the status of your, your ongoing school career. Well, actually, this is something I haven't told you guys yet. Um, My second research project for Comic-Con got accepted. Mm, So I'll be going to Comic-Con San Diego to talk about minority representation in comic books. What? Wow. Awesome. Nice. Surprise. Awesome, Mara. That's very cool. Congratulations. Exclusive. (laughs) Booked my hotel for that today. Awesome. Um, Very cool. But no, I was uh, binding my dissertation proposal this afternoon right before I got here. So... So how big is, is a dissertation proposal? My proposal is 79 pages. And <laughs> she yeah. said binding. I was picturing some kind of like like mystical ceremony yeah. going on. <laughs> really like all the pages stick together. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, it's really weird because it's always been a digital file to me. But seeing it printed out and I'm like, shit, I wrote that. You wrote a book. <laughs> Um, but it, we'll see what the committee says yeah. in two weeks. And so this is just like a prelude, right, to the actual project? Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the dissertation world, what you do is you pick a top subject, research it to death, devise some way you can um, test a hypothesis you have, and you have to present it to an entire committee. And then they say, um, they make any changes they, they want. And then they give you the sample of approval, and then you can go out and do the data collection, and then come back later and you defend it. No pressure. No, no none at all. <laughs> none whatsoever. It's so crazy. It's a breeze. Yeah. It's like a lot of work for someone to just go, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't really think this will work. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're they're actually you know pretty good about like if they think something's not going to work, they're not going to let you get all the way to the proposal stage without fixing it first. Mm. What's your, what's your backup plan just in case? Um, whatever they want me to do. Okay. <laughs> it's here's the thing about um, doctor or what the dissertation is as long as it's finished. Okay. Interesting. That, uh, that sounds horrible, but you know all these students come in with these great ambitions for you know their their premiere into the, the major research world and every professor is like just get it done like do something simple get it done and get out there and, and work huh let me ask you this you're saying that you can present your dissertation and they can reject it and then give you a different assignment to do instead that's what you said right not not entirely a different assignment but they can make major changes to the dissertation dissertation Okay. To, so it's not like they, they can't hand you a situation where you've done no research on this thing right. that all of a sudden they're like, we're going to go have you study the elephants and wherever yeah. and behavioral patterns and such. <laughs> I have I have one friend who's writing his proposal right now and his committee chair has altered his topic so many times that he's like, yeah. I may or may not finish it. Wow. Wow. You know, it's just like little subtle differences, but it's enough to where you're like, I have to go do read Tons more articles and things like that, but I got I got lucky with mine. Are you proud of what you've come up with? I I am. Then that's I, the I most think, important part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's going to work. Awesome, awesome. So uh, I want to come. I'm going to come back to you actually for your books because you in fact did get to read a few books. Yeah, <laughs> literally <here>. a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> a couple, maybe. A couple. Yeah, I think a couple is probably the uh, the the right term for that. But actually, I want to start with. Mr. Say. Oh, shit. Really? Okay. Oh, shit. Oh, God. <laughs> Scramble. Uh, all right. Um, we are mixing it up. Yeah, we're mixing it. We're mixing it way up I had up my there. feet up, man. I was <laughs> totally, yeah, I was ready to just be like, ah. <laughs> all right, I'm, keeping, doing? I'm keeping it on the toes. Well, yeah, well, no, it's keeping me on my toes. You want to talk about the number one first or the number 200 first? I feel like the number one is a longer discussion. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number 200. Let's do it. So, wow, this is a long, 200 issues. Yeah. All written by the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Brian. Ben- yeah. Brian wow. Benedict, every All right. See that that makes me even more excited than for what I'm about to say. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it it's crazy because I mean Bob, you were obviously reading comics when and intently when the Ultimate Universe started and this kind of we'll make it more palatable for people to jump in. We'll start at number one and now the flagship book is at number 200. So, yeah. They're right back around to where Marvel was yeah. when they started the whole thing, <laughs> which is, I guess why they blew it up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So 200 issues in Steve, I know you've been, you've been following the book since what the death of Peter Parker. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. I read the death of Peter Parker, which is interesting considering what this book consists of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting place to start to end up here. It's right. kind of like come full circle mm-hmm. in a way. Um, but I want to mention really quick, uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man 200 is written by Brian Michael Bendis and has a plethora of artists on it. Those artists are Dave Marquez, David LaFuente, Sarah Pacelli, Mark Brooks, Mark Bagley, and Andrew Hennessy with Justin Ponzer on colors. Mm. So there you go. Yeah. Quite the number of uh, talented people on this issue. Interesting way they did it too, right? Because it's not just like fill-in stuff. It's not like no. oh, I couldn't finish pages. There's very specific reasons why no. each artist is used. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the that's the beauty of this book, and for for so many other reasons. But uh, I actually wanted to start my little review with reading a little bit uh, from the book. Basically, 
this everybody receives an email and uh i love <laughs> i love this email silver hippie at gmail.com subject a celebration of peter parker to commemorate the second anniversary of our Peter's untimely passing, we are having a small get-together at the house. This is a celebration of his life, not a mourning of his passing. There will be food, drink, and friends. I truly believe Peter would want us to do this and would want uh, you there. I hope to see you there, RSVP, May Parker. Mm-hmm. So that's the premise of this book. This is an issue where May has sent out invitations to gather all of the people that have been affected by the Ultimate Comics Peter Parker in one way or another, and they're all, this is, you know, it's spearheaded by Miles and Genki making the trip, but everyone is there. Gwen's there, Mary Jane is there, uh, people I didn't even know were involved in the Ultimate Universe, because uh, that's the thing, I read Death of Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, and I've been reading from the start the Miles stuff. S- that's it. Mm-hmm. So... All of these characters are coming to this to this event and to this thing, and I got so much emotions and background mm-hmm. and and not even just memories that they had of being with Peter, but almost these these like there's a part in the book where each one of them tells a story of what they believe the future for them would have been if they were still with Peter in the future going forward, and they all share these like hyper visual you know daydream adventures of peter still being alive and them fighting crimes together or falling in love together or discovering new things and it's you know miles is is wondering what it would have been like for him to still be around and teach him all he needs to know about being spider-man and if they would have been like he would have been robin to his batman Mm -hmm. kind of thing and uh it's super sweet because it's it's very true to life that when you go to an event like this or you go to a wake or you go to whatever that it really should be about celebrating the person's life it's very hard to get past you know the sadness and and the loss of that person but at like especially the after parties you get to telling stories and you get to laughing and you know whether they're happy tears or sad tears or whatever you get to those good parts and i liked that the book went in that direction that everybody got to share you know, the most positive aspects of mm-hmm. Peter yeah. in this in this issue. And instead of it being a mourning of his loss, it was a celebration of his life. And not just the life that he lived, but the life that he would have led if he was still alive. Um, that all being said, it was, you know, super... I, I, it affected me. Like, I, I had never seen the interactions with these characters before with him in any of the books, but I felt the loss that they felt from the, the quality of the writing, absolutely just gorgeous, gorgeous artwork throughout. Everybody did a spectacular job uh, on this issue. And it makes me want to go back and get the run, especially knowing that it's been consistent and Brian Michael Bendis has been on it the whole time. I didn't know that yeah. before I walked in here tonight. Um, yeah, that's going to be a project of mine to get it because I want to see all of those stories. There's this really tender moment with Kitty and uh, Kenny, one of her ex-boyfriends, shows up. And uh, I know somebody was talking, uh, I forget their name on the forums, about silent panels and you know, kind of being a little bit tired of them. When you get a really good artist who knows how to convey emotion just by using their art, you can get some really, really impactful stuff going on. There's about three and a half pages towards the end of this where it's all silent panels and it's just gorgeous. 
Um, and everything that needs to be felt is felt through these panels. You don't need the words in this case, maybe for other comics. Yes. But for this, no. Uh, and there's also a little bit of mystery in the book. There's about three things in it that they don't tell you what's up. And you know that going forward that hopefully they'll get answered, but there's like, there's a gift that's given to Gwen and they focus on it real hard and you never find out what's in the box. And I'm like going back to the movie seven. Like, what's in the box? What's in the box? And you, I don't know. They don't tell you. Yeah. There's a shadowy figure in the bushes. Who the hell is that? And there are theories on that online and who could it be and stuff like that. And just all around for somebody who's been reading it like I have, it was highly, highly enjoyable. And I, I loved it. Loved it. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I read it. You know, it's funny. Uh, I picked it up because I've been picking up Ultimate Spider-Man for a while, but it's issue 200. It seems like an anniversary issue. It seems like an issue I can pick up and check out. And, you know, Rob, the guy, uh, Rob Newmeyer at Short Comics and said, you know, it's one of his favorite books. Oh, it's probably his favorite book of the year so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I picked it up, and I think that I'm even more removed than you are, right? Because I'm not even reading it currently, so yeah. I have a very small knowledge. I've, 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 I read the death of Peter Parker. You know, I, I popped in and out here and there, and I, I've really enjoyed what I read. So mm-hmm. I was just going kind of on, on Spider-Man knowledge mm-hmm. and Spider-Man feelings yeah. to read the book, and I, I think that. I read it and I got. I thought it was beautiful to look at. I thought it was well written. I loved the idea of it just being a, a, a meeting of people important to Peter, yeah. talking about Peter and, and thinking about Peter. Some of the pages are, uh, uh, you know, unbelievably sad. You know, uh, yeah. the, the kitty, the kitty page. That's the one I have open in front yeah. of me. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's I mean, really sad. It really is. It's really sad, but it's also you got you got to see almost like a multiverse future all in just two pages of, yeah. of their entire future to have that yeah. they stayed together or gotten back together. I didn't even know they dated. Yeah, and I had no it. idea until I read this. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I want to see that. When mm-hmm. the hell did that go down? Right. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny for, for a book that's kind of sort of in a way about closing a chapter, it opened up the whole series to me. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't going to seek this out. I was totally content to just, you know, have the death, know that, and go forward and not work my way back because there's so many things to work your way back with. But after this issue, I want to know, I want to know what inspired these stories and Mm -hmm. these snippets. Right. And if that's in the previous stuff, then I got to go out and I got to go get that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it was funny because I expected, you know, Gwen's to be the the saddest or someone like that, but it was, it hit me that Kitty Prides was that. And I loved Miles because it, it speaks to the character that they've created that he, his wish for Peter to be alive is for Peter to teach him how to be a better hero and to be with Peter and to be, you know, kind of Spider-Man second in command. Not if he wasn't around, I I wouldn't be the Spider-Man where there was something selfish and nothing, uh, and, and nothing petty about it. It was just, it was, you know, it was very sweet and beautiful yeah, and you nice. You can be a better Spider-Man. Exactly. Yeah. Which I thought was great. Uh, it was a really great issue. You know, I, I didn't, I don't think it packed the, packed the emotional punch because I haven't been reading the, the series. Yeah. But it's beautiful to look at and, and, and great, great read. Yeah, well. I mean, I've been, I don't know, I don't know what's been up with me the last couple of weeks, but there have been, I've been gravitating towards the more emotional books. I mean, I've been reading, we were talking about how much we read and each mm-hmm. week, and I think you and Mara were talking about it on, on Comics mm-hmm. and Coffee. And I was asking myself that question, and I tried to do the whole thing where you only read a few books and le- really let them, you know, sit and resonate mm-hmm. and kind of marinate and whatever. I read my entire poll from last week, the week before, and like I've been on this 
just this terror of sitting down and like knocking out like eight, nine books at a time and then, you know, taking a break and coming back and mm. knocking out the other nine or ten or whatever the hell there is. Um, but it's been the heavier books, the more emotional books that have really been sticking with me lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the stuff that I'm reading is is very good. And if we could, you know, talk forever about books we're reading, I'd mention a lot more titles. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we talk about the best. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't read eight or nine at a time. I read four at a time. I'll do like four, take a break, read four, yeah, take a I break. Agree. I had a lot of books this week, too, so it was, it was yeah. crazy. I mean, I, I re- I'm getting better at retaining the information and separating the stories mm-hmm. in my head. There was a long time where that was very difficult to do. I don't know what's changed, but I seem to be able to do it a little bit better. The ones that stand out, I can keep in my head very, very well. It's yeah. just that the other ones kind of get lost in the in the chuff. Yeah. And those ones where I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be reading these books. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I have stuff to catch up on. I made a list the other day of things that I have that I'm not reading. And it's mm. just, it's Fatal, Revival, East mm. of West. You know, Pretty Deadly, I had to read from one through five for, for this week. And, uh, you know, just uh, trying to fit it in. Doing the, yeah. the Talking Games podcast mm. now, that takes time because you're dividing the time now play games and read comics yeah so and be you know critical about both mm-hmm. so um, interesting times so amazing no, ultimate spider-man number 200 indeed um so next the number one so marvel for me uh finally finally yeah. marvel put out the newest in kind of their line of books which is going to lead i think to a a very big kind of crux for the, the universe going forward which is inhuman number one a book that Originally written by Matt Fraction is now written by Charles Soule, but still Joe Maguera on art, which mm-hmm. is, I think it's the le- it's the first regular work he's done for Marvel since the Ultimates three. Hmm. That's the, wow! Yeah, so it's been a long time since he's done any regular work. He's done fillings here and there, and seeing one one offs, but he did a couple issues on um, Avenging Spider Man. He did that, that first arc on Avenging was Joe Maguera. Oh, okay, so you know it, it it bounces back and forth, but this is it, it's supposedly an ongoing series with him as lead artist. Steve, what did you think of the first outing here with uh, Charles Soule and Joe Maguera? I really dug it. Mm. I really dug it uh, for a number of reasons that I will share with you now. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. You know, Matt Fraction was supposed to do this. Yes, he was. You know, we, we lost him on Fantastic Four and FF to do Inhumans. And then we lost him on that as well for X, Y, and Z, mm. you know. Uh, and it was a, it was a bit of an upset and we talked about it, you know, we were a little bummed. We didn't know what to think, but we were all, we were all excited about who was announced to step up to the plate and, and take his place on this book being Charles soul. Uh, I've enjoyed pretty much everything that I've read from Charles soul. So I was very excited for this. And now after reading the first issue and seeing kind of how he's setting the tone with this and how, big this looks like it's going to get i'm super super excited that it's him Mm -hmm. not that i not that i wouldn't have wanted matt fraction on the story but i was talking to bob on the phone earlier about this and this might come off as a little strange so if people are listening and i sound weird it's just me don't worry about it um matt fraction has a particular way of writing where when i read some of his bigger stuff uh he tends to go a little weird which is fine and and but it, it it weird in a sense of I can't grasp some of his writing. Like I try, I'm trying to read. Um, was it Incognito or or no, not Incognito? What is that? Uh, 
the three trade series that Casanova? he has. Casanova? Casanova, that's it. I've tried to read Casanova twice now, and I've gotten like several pages into it, maybe an issue or two, and I just, the rhythm of his writing, sometimes I can't get it right away. I just have to power through it. Mm-hmm. Um, for something as large as Inhuman is going to get or will be, I want a writer that I'm going to be able to follow and understand. And it's not going to, it's not going to, I'm not going to be tripped up by the way that it's written when there's so many other things to concern myself with. Right. But I mean, if you look at his superhero work, I mean, Casanova isn't superhero work. Casanova is creator own right, stuff. Right. Um, you look at, I mean, Hawkeye is obviously not a typical superhero book, but it's not confusing by right. any stretch of the imagination. And he did a long run on Iron Man and a long yeah, run I never Thor. Got to, I never got to read that stuff. Yeah. So Defenders. My, I, yeah, Defenders as well. My problem actually with Matt, is the opposite of you. My problem is uh, when Matt Fraction does stuff like Defenders or does stuff like Hawkeye, I love yeah. because he, he's got a little bit of that weirdness to him. The stuff I've read of his other stuff, and I haven't read the Iron Man run either. Yeah. The stuff I've read of the more normal superhero stuff, um, I haven't dug as much. You know, like when, when he... Not that Fantastic Four was his Fantastic Four wasn't good, but I dug mm-hmm. FF way more because it had yeah. that certain like juice to it. So I was worried that in this series he was gonna kind of be a little bit more stayed, you know, mm-hmm. you know, penned in. Yeah. So that was actually my actual worry. It was actually the opposite, but uh, interesting, interesting to hear that. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's really hard to put into words. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that you, you know you feel something about it, but mm-hmm. it's it's difficult. Right. But forget about Matt Fraction. Charles Soule wrote this book. Yes. What do you think about Charles Soule? I'll say one more thing about, I'm sorry, I'll say one more thing about Matt Fraction. <laughs> if if I know that because he's not doing this, that he's doing stuff like Odyssey and he's mm-hmm. doing Hawkeye and he's getting to do Avenger t- Adventure Time with his son now, Henry Leo and him are going to be doing an Adventure Time run. Cool. Really cool. Um, I, I feel good knowing that he's off doing those weird things. And when I say weird, it's just about the rhythm of the way that he writes some of his bigger stories. Right. It's just, it's kind of like reading Chuck Palahniuk. Each book has its own rhythm and cadence to it that once you grasp it, once you get a hold of it, you could read the book straight mm-hmm. through in no time at all. Uh, it just takes me a little while to get that with him sometimes right. on his bigger stuff. Anyway, moving on. Well, I want to jump in just oh, sorry. Really <laughs> on this. Since I, why not? Why not? We're going off on a huge tangent here. I'm a little, I am a little upset. The whole idea of we lost Matt Fraction to doing Inhuman on Fantastic Four and FF mm-hmm. because that was going to take up his time and he had to leave those two books very reluctantly from mm-hmm. all accounts. Yeah. And then he's not doing this either. Mm-hmm. I feel really kind of cheated, particularly in as bad as Fantastic Four is right now. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, apparently he didn't leave this book because of time constraints. He left this book because of um, creative differences. Creative differences. Yeah. yeah whatever. Yeah. No, whatever that means. It's like the most vague right. phrase yeah. in the history of, <laughs> of, entertainment. of entertainment. It's always, what does that mean? Um, so at least there's that. But I agree with you. You know, the whole thing was he's leaving FF Fantastic Four. Yeah. But we get him doing Inhuman. It's going to be awesome. And then now he's not doing it. Yeah, no, it did, it did feel like we, we were yeah. burned a little yeah. bit. But that's more Matt Fraction's disappointment, not disappointment in this book, just right. in, the, in the author and the, what and he's the, writing. The, right, in the business. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. when the alternative was announced and I found out it was Charles Soule, mm. like I said, I was excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because really if cool. anything, if all the fallout with Matt Fraction, if anything really great came from it, uh, aside from, from a great book, is it gave a creator an opportunity to step up to the plate and go big in a really big way and basically get people to look in his direction and let's see what he does with this mm. kind of thing. So you've got Charles Soule writing, you got Joe Maguire on art, 
And I can't. Oh, this name is going to kill me. Go for it. Marte Gracia. Is that? A, is it? Yeah, Grace. Yeah, Gracia. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna roll with it. He's on colors. In, in my head, she, when I read it, because because you know your brain Gracia. like. Your your yeah. brain like interprets letters that are off sometimes in a different way. Yeah, I just saw it as Garcia every time I looked at it. I just saw Garcia. Yeah, because of the way that, it, that it's written. But well, it took me a while for Maduera. Like yeah. eventually, I, I recognized the name, but I was yeah. like Maduri. Oh, it's that yeah. guy, Joe Mad. Joe yeah. Mad. Yeah. There you go. And to my to my pleasant surprise, uh, learned that he's the guy that did. Uh, he worked in video games. Yeah, and he did the art for the Darksiders yeah. series. That's why he left comics for a while. Yeah, he was to work in video games. Yeah. And uh, I actually have when I when I pre-ordered my Darksiders two for the PS3, I was given a comic book from Dark Horse Comics, mm-hmm. and I remember I think it was like the fourth or fifth Talking Comics podcast I actually talked about it on the show. Oh really? Uh, yeah, because it was the whole you know can a can a video game comic be any good? Oh right, yeah. And uh, it was <laughs> it was good. Mm-hmm. It was actually pretty good, and the art was was spectacular as far as that like high fantasy kind of stuff goes you know armor and tendrils and god knows what popping out everywhere so anyway the terrigen mists uh continue to fog the streets and new inhumans are being cocooned and born all over the world uh as a result of the infinity and all that madness Mm -hmm. and uh just i'm i'm super excited because the you we have like all these new characters and and potential for original heroes and villains to now enter into the Marvel universe and that's kind of the whole point mm-hmm. of this thing and in this issue you get to meet a couple of them and some of them turn out not the way that you had expected mm. and the whole time there's this uh new villain going around very very cool design uh by the name of Lash and he's kind of our our inhuman uh, master race villain, uh, complete with like a almost like a biblical gravitas mm-hmm. about him and the way that he speaks and and his mannerisms. And he's going around stalking the newly formed cocoons and essentially stealing them and judging them when they're first born as to whether or not they have any potential. Because if the the inhumans are going to come back into the fray, he wants only the strongest of the strong to lead the pack because now it's time for the Inhumans to rule. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's an Inhuman himself. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And he's going around and he's, you know, very loving and telling the tale. And that's another thing. The book did, I think, an, a very admirable job of filling people in who might not have either read the stories before or just lost the momentum entirely because of the the creator shift and how this was pushed back and stuff like that. Yeah, how far back does Infinity go at this point? Six months? Something like that, yeah. 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 I mean, that was my that's my concern for the book is that people have just lost their the momentum from the event because it's been a while. Yeah, well, I think Marvel also has that fear, which is why this book... Is in the back of the other back, books. It's in the back of Amazing Spider-Man number one, yeah. which is just pre-ordered at over almost six hundred thousand wow. copies. So that's exactly why they, I can't imagine they did, they did that for any other reason. Yeah, I mean, if they if they do that, mm-hmm. if if that gets this book into people's hands and gets them interested, because I mean, to look at it, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. The colors are absolutely gorgeous. The art is phenomenal, and uh, it's a. <laughs> For lack of a less cliche, it's a brand new world, <laughs> you know, and there are all these things. And, and also you got Medusa taking charge and, and kind of leaving that that 
motherly FF role that instead of just being mother to the the children in the future foundation, she's now mother to an entire race of people and an entire new world. And we get to see her back in kind of the like queen mode where she's just, you know, she's delegating things and, and taking charge and just being a, being very sexy, but at the same time being a complete and total badass and mm. demanding respect and, and people to kind of fall in line. And I think it's going to be a really great story for her as well. And not just all the new characters. Yeah. So I've said a lot about this. Do you want to say something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I read it and I, I liked it. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I, first of all, I want to say I, I love the art um, because it's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous in like a, a fun kind of cartoony way, mm. not in like a, I mean, people have huge muscles, the girls have, are well endowed, but like, it's not, it's in a, it's not in a, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, you know, it, yeah. it, and also I think just like he, I think he does beautiful stuff. Uh, so, you know, it's just, and the colors are bright and, and, and it's very nice. It's also kind of a nice kind of switcheroo in the beginning of the story that I, I, I find is a, is a narrative trick that I enjoy where it, it it posits that one character is going to be your main character and then pulls kind of a pulls the rug out from underneath you. Yeah, uh, which I thought was cool. I do agree. With the, the the villain, the supposed villain of the story, Lash, is very interesting and cool. And you know he's got that kind of I'm a almost like a, a, a homicidal preacher kind of yeah. vibe mm. to him. And you know he comes from the the hidden city where th- they dole out the Terrigimus in very small amounts to only a very select group mm-hmm. of people that they find I- worthy, and they find that a- they think Attilan to be, you know, kind of a- like almost like a Sodom and Gomorrah type of place where people are allowed to run rampant and they all they all get exposed to the mists and there's no yeah. there's no order or law there. It's just, you know, people doing whatever they want. He doesn't he doesn't recognize, you know, Medusa's uh, authority at all. Um, you know, he, he doesn't, mm. re- didn't recognize Black Bolt's authority, all of these things. So like the city has fallen and done this, you know, he, he sees it as a, as a time for his sect of the Inhumans to kind of take back right. what, what has been taken from them. Right, so as the best villains, he doesn't think he's wrong. Right. No, yeah. thinks he's very, very yeah. right. Yeah. So I, I, I thought it was good. You know, I, I, when I, when I put it down, I read a lot of books this week. It wasn't one of the books where I was like, I, I love it. I need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I did think that it was a good start. I think that a couple of the characters seem uh, the, the main guy seems like he's going to be cool. You know, he has a, a, a an interesting kind of backstory that I, I, I'm waiting to see. Um, the thing about this book has always been to me is that the reason I was so drawn to it by the you know the, the mad fraction of it all was because it didn't seem like a book <laughs> about you know about a character that I knew. Right? It, it was. Medusa wasn't on the cover. It's this other guy on the cover of the book. And so I was like, well, if it's going to be like this all new world, I, I want a creator on it that I, I know can create these worlds. So that's why when he left, I, it was kind of my wind was taken out of my sails because I was like, I don't even know what I'm following anymore. I do like Charles. So obviously, yeah. Strange Tractors was one of our best top nine for best books of the year last year. Yeah. So I, I, I have faith in him. But it, that my, my faith in the book being something different than yeah. the normal kind of every other team superhero book that i read was kind of dashed here it's not the same but it doesn't give me anything yet that makes you go this is a book that that's going to be on the top of my pull list or is going to stay on my pull list for very long if it doesn't do something to differentiate itself right but i mean the 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 hope of it is that because of all the brouhaha that went on before it came out 
that it it just winds up being a decent book and winds up being a book that people can get in on. And it's mm. definitely one of those ground level books where yeah, if you're is. looking to enter, like if you're feeling intimidated by all the Wolverines and all the Cyclopses and all the, you know, X-Men coming in from the past and then the guys are coming in from the future. And then there's the ones still over there. They're making a sandwich. And like, you can't, you know, keep all of that in your head. This is a book that it just started and it's a, brand new i mean they've been around but mm-hmm. you know they're re-entering into the world they haven't been around forever and everyone that's reading it is just as new to it as you are mm-hmm. and i think it does a good job in that regard and i just it, as a comic book event not even an event just like a phenomenon that's going mm-hmm. on um it's promising you know and it's definitely promising i yeah. definitely agree with you mar i know you haven't read it but <laughs> what is your are you excited about this book? Did you share the same kind of excited about Mad Fraction and then let down feeling? I actually, no. Um, <laughs> I, I was pissed off about him leaving Fantastic Four and FF. <laughs> so I, I harbored these <laughs> feelings towards Inhuman. Bob feels I, I vindicated. I feel the same that. way, yes. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's on my iPad. I'll read it at some point. It's not, um, it's not a priority for me. Gotcha. <gasps> but hearing hearing that it's okay, like it's a good story, mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, I, I really don't know much about the Inhumans or anything like that. That's not my that's not my area. Mm-hmm. But but hearing that, you don't really have to know everything to get into it. it right. Makes me feel more friendly towards it yeah i mean you're dealing with character totally new characters here except for when medusa kind of enters the fray you're dealing with all new all new entrants into the marvel universe Mm -hmm. so yeah until that medusa thing medusa thing the medusa part happens (laughs) uh you're you're not even need to know any what other any other inhumans are okay yeah um so that's inhuman number one it is and ultimate comic spider-man number 200 from steve you got it mara let's stay with you Tell me about Rachel Rising. I shouldn't have to because you should be reading it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 24th issue of Rachel Rising came out. And it is... I, I swear, this comic, each issue gets creepier and creepier to the point where like, I have, I have no idea where my limit's going to be with it. And this, <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, I typically don't gravitate towards horror comics or anything like that. But like this one, man... It is like the first page is a bunch of women hanging from nooses from the sky. And yeah. And um, cuddly thoughts. Yeah, it's so cool. (laughs) And then all of a sudden they start screaming at you. Uh, But Rachel Rising is basically the story of this woman named Rachel who comes out of the ground one day and is like, How the hell did I die? What just happened? And she goes back to her regular life and people are like, look funny. And, you know, all signs show that she's dead, but she's like walking around and, and doing all this stuff. And um, ever since her her death and return to life, sort of, all these weird things have started surfacing in their town. And um, where we are in the series right now, it's Lilith who's wanting to um, take out revenge on this town for hanging witches back in the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have some witchcraft stuff going on. You have some 
weird mystical time travel, not really time travel things. You have um, this issue of reincarnation in uh, one of Rachel's, I think it's her cousin, actually, who mm-hmm. might be her lover from her original time. And then this the idea is also of, like, true. Who, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who is Rachel? Is, is Rachel a separate person from um, Bryn, who was from this time period where witches were hung and, and living in Rachel's body. It's really weird. Um, there's a little girl who goes around killing people with a knife and she's like super happy about it too. Oh yeah. She's really creepy. She is creepy. Yeah. yeah. Love her though. Love her though. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's great. She's great. You want to invite her to all the parties. She's all right. <laughs> so, so in this book we have some major things happen to Lilith. Um, for those of you who, who are following. Um, and so it's, it's so, it's one of those books that it feels like a lot doesn't happen in each issue, but each issue is fantastic. Hmm. Um, it reads a lot like Walking Dead in that way. That yeah. when you read it, you feel you you know stuff happened, but you feel like you know you didn't get very far. But in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things, it's all a part of a bigger machine. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Zoe has a big uh, the little girl with a knife um, has a big role in this particular issue. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, I can't recommend it enough. I know, I believe the first and second trade are currently out of print. Are they really? That's what I heard. Wow. It's been really tough to get them for a while, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, you might be able to find them on Amazon or eBay or maybe the random comic book shop that for some reason still has copies of it. Um, Might be able to go to Terry Moore's official store. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to work to find the the trades now Mm. for the earlier ones. But I can, I I mean, I cannot recommend the series enough. I've read Echo, I've read Strangers in Paradise, and Retro Rising is like another winner in my book as far as great storytelling. Hmm. Rank them, Mara. Oh, do I have to? Yes, yes. you have to. Do it. Um, I, I'll, I'll go um, Echo first, then Strangers, then Rachel Rising. And only Rachel Rising low because I don't know where it's going to end. How it's going to end. Okay. Yeah. So Echo over Strangers in Paradise. I know that sounds weird, but um, it doesn't sound weird. I'm just I I'm just asking. Yeah, curious. Yes, because yeah, I, I, I want to read both. Yeah. Aspect of Echo. Which should I read first? Should I read Strangers or Echo first? Um, probably Strangers, since that's his earlier work. Hmm. Um, yeah, and you know, reading Echo before Strangers might have impacted the way I, I view view it. Mm-hmm. Strangers is really long though. Yeah. yeah. But it's one of those like. I read the entire series in maybe three days. You, you, you can't put it down. Yeah. That happened with ecstatics with me. Not that it's <laughs> not that it's the same right. wheelhouse, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But it's, it's one of those where you're going to feel good at the end of the story. Like you're going to, you're going to have this great feeling of I accomplished something. Nice. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been eyeing the omnibus of strangers in paradise for a while. So yeah. I got to get me some of that. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I got it for my birthday last year. Ooh. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So Rachel Rising was number 24? 24. Number yeah. 24. And uh, the other book you want to talk about, Red Sonia number eight. Yeah. Um, I've really been enjoying this particular arc of Red Sonia. It's a little bit lighthearted than the first one. The first arc was like she was infected and things were just miserable and trudging along. And in this one, she's basically told by um, an emperor to go hunt these these people who are at the top of their field bring them to me and i will save all these slaves like i won't kill them and of course right something is like ah. 
<laughs> so <laughs> she goes and she goes and does it because she actually has a heart of gold and wants to protect all these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's already gone and and um, found the cook, the chef, who, you know, you're, you're kind of like, is it a cannibal? Is it not? And it was it was a really interesting story. And he's kind of a prick, and I don't like him very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she's on her way to find he's the beastmaster, the man who can tame bears and wolves and make wild animals do his bidding for this emperor. And uh, I think uh, Steve was talking about earlier, like the best part of this issue is Red Sonia, she's always talking about her, her hunger being uh, unabated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just like, like rolling around her bedroll, like just miserable until she finally tries to wake up the, the cook and she's like, come, come lie with me. He's like, you smell bad. You're not my type. <laughs> he's like, he's like telling her, I want you to wine and dine me before we do this. Yeah. What if I want to be romance? <laughs> That's, I, like that was the the best part of, of this series so far is this idea of like, you know, nobody turns down Red Zone yet. And finally this, this cook is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, how do I even know if we have a thing together? For people that travel in filth, he's quite picky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Telling her you stink. Especially for, for a snob that he is <laughs> with his food. Yeah. I'm totally a snob. So, I mean, so she meets the Beastmaster who may not be what the he seems. Not, yeah. that, not Mark Singer, no. No, sorry. Uh, I, I don't know. Cameo. Crossover. How is it called? The Beast Lord, I guess they call him in the book. I like Beastmaster, though. So. He's a yeah. prick, too. The Beast Dude. Um, beast dude beast dude and it's, it's a really actually kind of a sweet story um after you get past the the stinky parts yeah the stinky parts so <laughs> um i've really been enjoying what uh gail someone's been doing with this arc as far as like the comedy part of it what do you think about the art mara i i mean i've always enjoyed i what i like most about the art believe it or not um it's how covered up red sonia is in the book mm-hmm like, kid you not, like, all the covers show her and her, like, chainmail bikini and boobs a flopping. But when you open it up, <laughs> she's, like, 98% covered. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. Like, you know, they're still, play, you know, trying to save her iconic image. But once you start reading it, you don't even notice that she's not naked in it. Mm-hmm. And I really respect that they've done that with that character. Um, art as a whole, I mean... I, I like the panel layout. I like the colors. I think everything is, um, I mean, the facial expressions in this particular issue are pretty spot on as well. They're very, I mean, there's one where she's aiming her arrow and you can see her eyebrows scrunch up and her, her lips curl down a little bit and just like this this mix of um, concentration and anger. And it's so cool. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Bob, is there anything you want to chime in on? No, I've been loving this too, and I never read much Red Sonia before. Here and there, she'd be in Conan or mm. saw the terrible movie the way most of right. us did back then. <laughs> and she is just such a layered, interesting character. She does have a code of honor. Mm. It's hers particularly. Right. <laughs> She's very big on protecting innocence, so she has a mission here. Mm-hmm. It gets sidetracked here and there. She's willing to stick her sword through somebody else's head here and there who annoys her. Yeah. Uh, it was two issues back, I guess, Mara, where the the, the polar bear issue was that in Legends. I don't remember. Might have been Legends. Might have been in Legends. I'm confusing the two. That's <laughs> that comes out in the inter- intermittent week. Mm-hmm. But they've both been good. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And this one particularly, just so funny, and then it gets 
touching and sad, and it manages to touch every every emotion you have in a book that should just be sword and sorcery and whatever. Mm. Just a great book. Walter Giovanni's art is incredible. Yeah, what I like, what I love about his art is you were mentioning Mar how she's she's completely she's covered up, but she she's beautiful like she's gorgeous mm-hmm. like he draws like mm-hmm. i look at her i'm like she like there, there's no, i can feel like the attraction with you know even though it's it's a uh you know a flat created image which i think is is pretty impressive yeah without yeah. going for all the other yeah. stuff that they could have yeah absolutely yeah. now it was That's I, talent yeah, yeah i showed steve uh last week's legends of red sonia and the the, the story with the actors the mm. troop that kelly sue DeConnick wrote and it's valentine delandro uh did the art where there's this guy the size of Volstag is acting out the legend of Red Sonia and puts on <laughs> oh, <God>. the outfit. <laughs> uh, it's about 400 pounds. Once you've seen it, you can't, can't unsee, unsee it. it yeah. <laughs> so look out for that one, too. <laughs> so that's Red Sonia number eight. Yes. All right. Red Bob Sonia was like, eight. check it out. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. We're going we're gonna to stay right on the uh, the lady train here. Ah. We're going right over to Bob. Um. She-Hulk, number three. Sure, we've got Charles Soule. He's, again, a, he's, a, he's a theme. Popping up again. Dominating. Uh, yeah. uh, Javier Polito, still on art. Wonderful Kevin Wada cover. And I'm going to blow this name. Munsa Viente in right. colors. I'm May. Thinking, I think. <laughs> this is a very law-heavy issue, and yet filled with humor and craziness and whatever. It picks up at the end of last issue with Christoph Bernard, who is... He's calling himself the son of doom. It's very much more complicated than that. He's a little kid that got brainwashed into being doom when doom thought he was going to get killed off in some adventure years ago. And so eventually there'd be this little kid in the doom armor, Mm -hmm. which was kind of creepy, quite (laughs) frankly. But he ran Latveria and the doom had to enlist the Fantastic Four to get him off the throne and back and forth. Well, now he's shown up in New York because he wants political asylum. Because he doesn't want to rule Latveria because it's pretty terrible. He seems to yeah. want to be a celebrity. He wants to take his limo and ride around <laughs> New York and go to restaurants. And he's apparently hitting on the She-Hulk while he's at <laughs> it. He shows up at her office thanks to uh, Angie Wong, the new receptionist with her little monkey. I love that monkey. I still don't know what that's about, but it's hysterical. And we go from there. I don't want to give too many of the plot reversals away. There's some really neat stuff here. Uh, a wonderful guest starring appearance by... Her new investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how are you guys feeling about the art? There's a let me. I actually I have something about the art. Sper, any more sperm eyes? <laughs> no, I <laughs> I have not. I don't know if I haven't been on the shows where I had to. No, you've it. talked about it before. No, yeah. no, no, you've, you know, you like. I'm just asking. Yeah, because I, I every time it. now, like especially on the recap page where uh, she hulks like walking in her her whatever. Her her eyes. Stephanie's got me with the eyes. Like, where's she looking? I don't know. Is it over there? Is it? And I just. I kind of see what she's talking about. I just don't care enough to mm. let it ruin the art yeah. for me. Um, I really enjoy the art. But one of the things that I had me laughing for about two minutes straight is uh, She-Hulk goes to this place called the Coffee Bean. It's essentially Starbucks. Mm. It's, and, no, no. This comes before Starbucks. The oh, Coffee place. Bean is, yeah. where, oh. is where Peter and Gwen yeah, hung yeah. out oh. 50 years ago. Yeah, 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 coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, then. Um, yeah, established Take in that, Seattle. 1960. <laughs> but if you look at this panel, it's one of those long panels that stretches across both pages. 
every single person with the exception of the person working the register, but the person next to them behind the counter working is also everybody is on their cell phones. Mm -hmm. Every last person in this panel. And I cracked up because I'm looking around, sitting in the seats, looking for a seat, waiting in line, getting their coffee, walking away without their coffee. Everybody just... Every time I go into Starbucks to grab my my vanilla coffee, that's exactly, and I'm one of them too. Mm-hmm. I'm you know waiting in line on my phone and stuff. Uh, I mean, I love the issue uh, overall. I I'm really enjoying this run. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the the legality or just the the um what's the word I'm looking for? There's a legalese. Legalese. Yeah. Uh, and it's fun. And I really liked the the Doom uh, Doom's son character. What was his name? Kristoff. There you go, Kristoff. Uh, I like his his chop chop kind of attitude mm-hmm. and the She Hulk don't take no shit response. Yeah. So I'm enjoying the the character banter a lot in it, um, especially with Hellcat being a part of the crew. It's funny. Mm. It's a light, you know. It's it's light in tone, and uh, there's a little bit of like you mentioned the monkey. Like what yeah. is what's going I on have there? No idea. <laughs> Like it to me, it's very reminiscent of the Charles uh, uh, Charles Souls run. It is very reminiscent of the Dan Slott run, where it's it's heavy into Jen being a lawyer, but it's not skimping on the humor, right, or the crazy aspect of oh. it. But more importantly, his his Jennifer has intelligence and gumption, and she's just a really really solid character. Very nice retro fantastic car. Yeah, this fantastic car is a little phallic. <laughs> Uh, for, for my taste, is this really what it looked like back in the day? Yeah, that's the the uh, that's the middle '80s version. Well, the, the first one was the flying bathtub that they were using as right. a kitchen table. <laughs> yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. I've seen this fantastic art drawn on a lot of bathroom walls in New York City. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying. It. Yeah. It's funny because when you first we first sent the emails back and forth uh, during the weekend about what books you had mentioned you're going to do the movement and. Uh, I had so I had a draft email saying Bob, I think we should wait until next week to Thank talk you. about uh, next month to talk about yeah. it because it's the last issue. And I was like, I think we should try to change it up a little bit. And then you had sent an email before I sent that email okay. saying I'm going to talk about She-Hulk, and I hadn't read the movement yet, so I was like, let's just wait. I was like, it's 11 months in a row. Yeah. I think we've talked about yes. the movement. Um, and I have to say, Bob, after reading it, I would have let you talk about it because it was fucking amazing. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so good. I, I had no idea what to expect and. What came of it? And again, we'll talk all about the series, kind of in recap next month when the last issue comes out. But did man, you, did woof. you read the whole thing? What'd you do? No, I just read number number oh, eleven, yeah. and I was—I mean, I've read no, the whole it was really thing, good. but a, number eleven blew me away. Oh wow, this is awesome! Yeah, that's why that was on my list right yeah. away. But I, I felt the same way. Yeah, we're, I'm going to do the whole series, and we'll, yeah, we'll, it's requiem. It reminded me of that movie. <laughs> um, Frailty, have you ever seen that movie with yeah. McConaughey and Bill Paxton? Yeah. That's what it reminded me yeah. of. It had the same kind of similar vibe to it. Hmm. Really, really good. Really, really good. Like a, a, a huge, you know, it's funny because I keep, I keep expecting since the cancellation came down for it to like taper off and it hasn't. It's been going it's actually, it's full, full tilt to the yeah. end. So it's yeah. cool. It, yeah. it's, it's nice. But uh, that movement number 11 was that and She-Hulk number three was yeah. the other yeah. book. Yeah, I love the mm. art. You right. know, I, I did have to start looking away from the eyes because Stephanie did put it in my <laughs> She's head. Poisoned. Sp- She's poisoned. She really right. did. But now I the panel layouts are incredibly fun. Mm-hmm. Interesting usage of the spaces within. Yeah, totally. And how you have to read th- this yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, It's fun and light, but it, there's still weight to what's going on. Mm-hmm. She really does care about these people. Mm-hmm. She's, whether it's uh, the, the mad scientist widow in the first issue or, or Christoph here, she cares. Yeah. 
and where there are reversals here where you know doom doesn't want to let him go and there are doom bots everywhere including mm-hmm. places we i won't even talk about <laughs> it's wow bad stuff i love how happen. colorful it is like yeah, using yeah. using all the bold colors in the manner that that he does is just wonderful it's fun to read mm-hmm. you know i think i don't know I was worried at the beginning with the first issue that some of the legalese might bog it down a little bit if they were going to go heavy with that. But I've found that I not only really enjoy it, but it, it just it lends it makes the book different from others. Well, again, you, Authent- I authenticity. I don't know if you've mm. caught up to the Dan Slot run with this. I have not, but I do own it. Right. It is in the law firm constantly. And it became a lot of fun because it was a law firm within the Marvel comic book universe and they handled superhero cases. So basically their law library was a bunch of long white boxes in the basement. Right. <laughs> Sounds like my comic room. Right. Yeah. Was, that was their law library. Yeah, yeah. Was the, look up all back issues of Marvel comics to see why <laughs> this hero or villain should not be sued or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're, go ahead, Mara. I was going to say, I've read about half a dance lots run on She-Hulk and I love that day-to-day superhero aspect of she she has a job she has to make money and it's the same reason i like rekka's wonder woman where she's in a um has oh, a, a diplomacy diplomatic mm-hmm. uh, embassy, embassy whole, right yeah yeah <laughs> embassy that's the word i'm thinking of um i like but, diplomatic building <laughs> diplomatic <laughs> my brain is fried <laughs> oh man it's all right yeah no it's cool i mean obviously that's one of the great thing right it's fun to watch superheroes do normal people things mm-hmm. It's like look at watching celebrity shop, like the you know, like Us <laughs> Magazine. They're like, "What's in Kate Beckinsale's shopping bag?" <laughs> now, I'm really happy that this series is is chugging along nicely. Mm-hmm. I, it could have been a train wreck, you know. Yeah. It is very different in tone, even though we talk a lot about how different Marvel is across mm-hmm. the board. This is out there with Hawkeye in the yeah. far reaches of mm-hmm. what's acceptable, and it's just great. I hope it hangs around long enough for. Charles Soule to tell all the stories he wants because I'd be there every month. All right, awesome. Whoa. She-Hulk number three. All right, so moving on, we got uh, got the Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly's back and then gone again. Pretty, yeah, back and gone for a few months. A few months, anyway. right, yes. Doing kind of the this thing that has become a little bit in vogue now, which I think is a good practice for creator-owned books, which is do an arc, take time off so you can catch up, yeah. get the other arc done so there's no, there's nothing late. It all ships on time, just we'll take breaks in the middle. Mm-hmm. Scheduled breaks. So I think it's a good thing. But Pretty Deadly, uh, what is this, number five? Number five. Number five. We're ending the arc that we began in number one. Um, Bob, what did you think of number five? I think this is, we talked about this when we first with, with the first couple of issues. This is a very challenging book. I know a lot of you are going to be reading this whole thing as a trade, so I will not spoil anything here. But this is hauntingly beautiful and sad at the same time. It is lyrical and harsh at once. It's all the contrast you'd expect the book called Pretty Deadly to actually have. Mm -hmm. And the promise of it gets delivered by the end of this. This is a deeply emotional story as we picked up the the trail of Sissy and Death-Based Ginny chasing after her. We've seen death and talking bunnies and ravens and (laughs) butterflies and all the rest of it. And it all comes together. We end up with a huge gunfight on death's home territory, which is right out of the good, the bad, and the ugly, or quick and the dead. And yet there are still these moments of quiet between characters just stopping to talk or to look at each other in 
ways to say, oh, wait, this is what came from that song that we started at the first, the song of the Mason and his bride and Ginny riding on the wind and, whoa, oh, no, this can't go here, can it? Really, can it? Mm -hmm. This story, art, colors by Jordi Belair, letters, Clayton calls, just the whole package across the board is just one of the most unique things I've ever read. Mm. And if people have been hanging off to read all five, what I was doing was reading the issue before, always just before I read the new one, because it's Smart. the recap's not enough. No. It really isn't. There's too much depth within each issue. Mm. Reading this, and I just read it again as a lump. Wow. Yeah. It paid off twice as hard. Yeah, I think we talked about when issue four came out, I said I went back and I read one through three, mm. and uh, all of a sudden things in the, in the first couple issues which didn't connect with me were now crystallized because of information that I now had later on. It's funny that this book comes a week after we just had a discussion about Sandman Overture mm -hmm. because I feel very similar about both books where they're incredibly dense, incredibly beautiful pieces of work that need to be read multiple times to understand and are just as much about ideas as they are about plot happening. Mm -hmm. I think obviously I think Pretty Deadly is it, it is more about plot. There's more of a of a there is definitely a, a solid standard three act structure hidden underneath mm -hmm. all of this gorgeous art and amazingly bizarre, surreal ideas that, that they're playing with. And the art definitely this is one of those situations where I feel like the art and the writing definitely work together to create the mood here. I mean, that's probably always true, but I feel especially here because I feel like if it was Kelly Sue's writing and more straightforward art, the book would also be feel a lot more straightforward. When some of these panels, when I open these pages, the way my senses are assaulted by the way the visuals are kind of throws me off from being able to suss Read, out the yes, plot. You know, it's absolutely. just like in Sandman where you're like, whoa, like this mm -hmm. is an overwhelming thing that I'm looking at right here. So now I'm trying to figure out how the dialogue relates to the, the plot and the characters going on, but I'm trying to figure out the way the art relates and are these concept are these conceptualized ideas about these characters or is this really happening? You know, what happened to this person? What happened to this person? So, and I don't mean in a confusing way because it's not confusing, but it adds to this kind of surrealist vision of of this old west. Yes, because you need to stop and absorb the artwork, mm. but you want to then. You lose the momentum of the words because they're meant to be read in a certain rhythm, very musical, poetic sort of rhythm. Yeah. And now taking an extra beat in between, you do have to go back that second pass. It's just crazy, but yeah. it's good. Yeah, It's just amazing what Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios did here. Uh, what was started as a regular revenge western mm -hmm. turned into Jodorowsky. We ended up throwing in... Mm. Uh, Without spoiling too much here, if anyone, there was a remake called Meet Joe Black. Yep. But the original movie, it was, it was from the 30s, it's called Death Takes a Holiday. Mm -hmm. And we're down some of that road here, too, to go yeah. with everything else that's in here. Now, here in issue five, we have some other little mm. things thrown in. Just, I'm stunned. Very uh, mythological. Though, yeah. No, I intended to be impressed with this issue. You, you're looking forward to, okay, how's this all going to wrap up? And it went to places I didn't expect. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. it was, it was Steve, what did you think of it? I thought it was outstanding. I uh, hadn't read it since the first issue. I think I tried reading the second one. And I might have read it for the sake of talking about it on the show, but didn't retain 
anything. I was still very confused. Uh, my pattern kind of went like this. Uh, issue number one, really cool, but confused. Issue number two, still confused. Issue number three, totally got it. Awesome. By the end of issue four, a little bit confused. And then five, towards the end, I I understood what was going on. It's one of those books that immediately after finishing it, I wanted to read it again. Uh, I loved all the Western style stuff. I loved the main story. But the one thing that kept me coming back to it, and I think the thing that I enjoyed the most is the the bunny and butterfly stuff and, and at the beginning and end. I loved being brought through the story from their perspective and their the lyrical way that they spoke to one another and the, the little songs that they sang to each other. And just very, like I said before, very mythological in its in its presentation. It feels like a fable or something that like you get the history books and you learn like Greek mythology that this is the first part of like the first great story in a much, much, much larger uh universe. Yeah. You know, like you hear about Homer and the Odyssey. This could be Death Face Ginny and the Bird Girl or whatever. Mm, yeah, you right. know? Um I really hope that, you know, they say we'll be back I really hope that it doesn't take that long, six months or whatever, to bring it back and to do it again because it's just it's too damn good to to have it fall by the wayside. I hope that not only do people pick it up now that it'll be collected and read it and, and enjoy it, but that there'll be even more of a fever for it when it returns. Mm. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it's pretty deadly number five. Hmm? Can I just say one thing before we go? Of course. I uh, would just like to extend our condolences from your talking comics. Kelly Sue DeConnick lost her great aunt, Gamma Polly, yes. yesterday. So from all of us to all their family, our sincerest best wishes. Absolutely. 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 Now I'm going to talk about a book with Batman in it. <laughs> <laughs> Gamma Polly likes Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just really quick, I just want to mention Black Science is the best issue so far, I think. I didn't get to read. That's the one book I didn't get to read. Best is- best issue so far. Oh, sweet. I got a post. I think. It was it was amazing. Um, How many issues are? We are at issue... What was this? Five now. Okay, We're, so I'm only one away from getting to buy the one trade. One away from I've a trade. <laughs> gorgeous. I mean, the art is gorgeous. The story in this... It was cool because, you know, we've been dealing with a lot of... I don't want to talk about it too much because I, I don't want to cheat on the two books thing, but... Um, uh, you know, we've been dealing with a lot of like, there's everything has been very plot driven, but we've been dealing with a lot of like, what, what is what's going on with them? Kind of where are they stuck? You know, we we kind of got to do a pattern of they're in one place, it it's going to be probably pretty bad, and then they're gonna there's something's gonna happen, ticking clock. We're gonna get to the pillar. We're gonna we're gonna warp. That's kind of been the idea here. Here it introduces a whole nother set of concepts to this story. Mm. A whole uh, opens up the universe that they live in, hmm. incredible an incredible amount. Really awesome stuff. Nice. Um, amazing, 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 amazing stuff. Um, same thing with, with Loki, actually, as well. Yeah, I read that. That was fun. It felt like Journey to Mystery. It really did. Yeah, I was so oh, excited. Great for you people who all love that series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really oh did. Wow. It, you got so many stories within one thing. Yeah. Uh, and it still built on issues one and two. It did. It like managed to cover a lot of ground. But that flashback to like young Odin with with Loki in it, I was yeah. like, this feels like Kieran Gillen ag- yeah. again, which was awesome. It was fantastic. S- super yeah. awesome. Well, I'm yeah. so loving Al Ewing's Mighty Avengers. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Rob just. I was picking my books. Rob said he said, you know, he, they're probably he, he's probably writing my two favorite books right now at Marvel. That's what he said. Hmm. 
He loves Mighty Avengers no. as well. So I'll have to catch up with that. I, do, oh, I mean, he's great. been great in this book. I mean, I, it's a it's kind of revelation to me how good the book's been because I was I I was nervous about it because I love what Kieran Gillen did with the character in Journey to mm-hmm. Mystery and Young Avengers. So for someone else to be taking the character back and doing it, I was nervous, but it's been awesome. It's been really awesome. Yep. Uh, sweet. So on, really onto the books now. No, okay. no more cheating. Cheater. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It's your show. It's my damn I had show. No, we could cheat. <laughs> Bob, I, I'm never going to let you know you can cheat because then you'll talk about eight books. Uh, Batman Detective Comics, number 30. Uh, new team, Francis Manipole and Brian Bucciolato, ah. uh, the guys who rebooted The Flash, the new 52, are now doing Detective Comics. And I have to say, first of all, the art, when I talk about Francis Manipole doing anything, I'm going to talk about the art first. Uh, it's just unbelievably gorgeous. Unbelievably gorgeous, watercolory, mm-hmm. um, this muted palette type of look to it. I have a question for you. What's up? Did you happen to notice uh, there is a panel of Batman flying through, uh, flying over the rooftops? They have like fingerprints pressed into. Oh, really? Yeah. Like if I didn't you notice that. Look at it real close. There's about mm-hmm. three fingerprints pressed into the silhouette of Batman flying over the the buildings. Mm. Just, I've never seen that. Like, super unique. Yeah. He probably splashed it with his hand on purpose, I'm guessing, but... <laughs> to make the ribs in the cape, probably. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. You yeah. can keep talking. Just yeah. check that out. It's really cool. Um, I've never seen a Batman book that looks like this, you know, that is this particular art style, which is it's just really impressive to me that you, you could do that with a character, the most popular character in the entire world. Um and I am extremely excited to see the book looking like this from now on. The story itself is, I feel like a little, a little bit by the numbers. It's, it, it's kind of a very standard Batman story. You know, he, there's something wrong in Gotham and it's brewing and it's coming and he's going to try to, he's got to try to stop it. Obviously, you know, there, there's a lot of Bruce Wayne stuff here, which I found, which I found the more interesting than actually in the Batman stuff. Um, you know, Frying at who Bruce Wayne is. The book is very good. We run into this problem, though, which is the fact that I don't know what anyone else has to say about Batman right now that's going to draw me in above the Scott Snyder stuff. You got Eternal starting this week, too. I know. I mean, it's not about, it's not about dollars for me. Okay. It's about the fact that I read this, and all I'm doing constantly is I can't read it outside of the prism of what's happening in the main Batman book. You can't separate the two. I can't separate. I know it's a separate story. I have trouble story, with that too. And it, it's not even about the plot. Like, I'm like, how's he doing this and doing this at the same time? Mm. That doesn't bother me, but it's just, I'm like, this book is good, but it's not as good as the other Batman books, so wouldn't I just rather read one amazing book so that there's no other, there's nothing else bringing down my my Batman attention? You know, that that's mm. how I think about it. Yeah, but I mean, you can... Look at it where maybe you just want a different Batman story, and especially a Batman story that looks the way this one does. Oh, absolutely. And again, that's one one of the main reasons I'll probably keep picking it up is because just how beautiful it is. Um, I I, want to stick with it because of that. Yeah. But if I want to... The thing is, if I want a different Batman story, I want it to be really different. You know, I don't want... I mean, this is similar in tone. It's not like it's lighthearted or weird. It's yeah. like Batman Inc., like Grant Morrison, which was... It had a little bit of like a what at the very end. Well, I mean, it has plot points. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> 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 I 
definitely has it definitely yeah. has plot points, but it doesn't have when you, when you read when you read Scott Snyder's Batman and you read Grant Morrison's Batman Inc. Fan or not of Grant Morrison, that's a different take on the character that is right. doing weird stuff and 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 it's a completely different tonal shift from what he's what he's what Scott Snyder is doing. Right. This is similar tone, done well with unbelievably gorgeous art. Yeah. But there wasn't a lot in it for me to to stand out above. I think that if you were like, let's say you were a hardcore Batman fan, mm-hmm. you could be a huge. I, I know you're a huge Batman, big fan, Batman fan. But like, let's just <laughs> let's just say like you're you're that guy that goes in and every time a Bat book comes out, you're like, oh, where's yeah. the Batman Got onesie to watch television? Yeah, yeah. oh, that's Stephanie. You know, like you're wearing the the cowl when you go into the shop mm-hmm. and you're buying your Batman comics. If you were to, if this was the hopefully you'd like it. If this was the shift for Detective, and yeah. all of a sudden it became this beautiful colorful you know watercolored pinks and blues and greens and oranges and it's it's so nice to see gotham outside of the gloom i mean there's a little bit of the gloom in there Mm -hmm. but not so much Mm -hmm. and new characters too yeah which is really cool there is definitely a lot of things to like here yeah and it is a quality batman book you know and i think that if people are interested in it if if they're on the fence about it Mm -hmm. pick it up read it you you will not be disappointed purely just for the art. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. But in a world where we're scrounging, all these books are scrounging for the cut of our comic book dollar. I feel like if you're going to be a Batman book for me anyway, and this is not, and then someone like I love Batman, mm-hmm. but I only want to read the stuff that really excites me. Just like with the Avengers, just like with the X Men, just like all the huge properties in the comic book world. If you're scrounging for my dollar, yeah. if you don't do anything that really stands out then it's not going to stay on the pull list. So it needs to be more, it needs to be more, you need more than just the art. Exactly. I need more than just the art. And okay. the art is gorgeous and the art will keep me, if, if it didn't look like this, this might've been the only issue I bought. Let if me I, ask you this. What are you going to do if you want to continue to check this out and then you've got Scott Snyder's Batman and now you have Eternal coming out every week. Are mm. you jumping on the Eternal train? I'm definitely going to read the first issue. Okay. I'll, probably, I'll probably read the first month and see how I feel about it. What if you, what if you end up in a situation where you all of a sudden you have three Bat books? I mean, that's going to be the situation for at least probably a month or two. Yeah. Uh, and I already have three bad books. I read Batman and Robin. So. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so now it's four bad books if I keep reading Detective. Uh, it, it just happens I'm going to read a couple issues of all of them. And I actually took off the Two-Face arc in Batman and Robin. Yeah. And now I'm back with Batman and Aquaman because it's the search for Robin. And we're going we're gonna to right. hopefully find out to see the, the end to, to, to this uh, the team-up book. But uh I'm going to read them for a couple months, and then I'm, what's going to happen is just going to be how I always do it, which is Rob's going to call it the name of the book, or he's going to put it in front of me, and I'm going to go, no, it's okay. You know? Yeah. Because I'll, or, or it will go a month, I won't read it, and I won't care that I didn't read it, and that's when I'll drop it. And again, it's not because it's not good. I've dropped many books that are good books that I just can't, I can't afford mindshare-wise or wallet-wise to buy yeah. anymore. Yeah. I don't buy Avengers anymore, for God's sakes. I don't either. You know? And I, I really like that book, but I just... It was falling by the wayside for me. Mm-hmm. But Detective Comics number 30, gorgeous cover, for one thing, and, <laughs> and gorgeous interiors, good story, just so far not enough to differentiate itself for me to be something that I'm going to be thirsting to pick up uh, every single month. Bob, Bob got excited before, because I was going to ask you about this too. There is a, a graphic novel coming out called Black Canary and Zatanna Bloodspell, written by Paul Dini, oh. by Joe Canonis. The I did power not power of fishnets. He was subtitled. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about this until yeah. I opened this book and saw this ad. You got to be pretty excited about this, Bob. It's been planned for about 
eight years. Oh, wow. Whoa. And it finally found its spot after some reboots and everything mm-hmm. else. And yeah. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Paul Dini doing yeah. Zatanna and the Canary. Yeah. Absolutely. He loves Zatanna. He always talks yeah. about that in all the interviews I hear with him. He loves Zatanna. Uh, but that's Detective Comics number 30. By the way, were you buying Detective before this? I bought the last couple of issues because of the I, le- I was reading the Gothopia arc because uh-huh. I enjoyed it. Interesting thing. I mean, it's not a big news story, but J- John Lehman did his kind of exit interview with, with DC, or it was not exit interview, but it was like a, they did a creator thing where they asked all these creators that work for them, like kind of their performance and everything. No. And in that, he talked about leaving Batman and how when he came to Batman, he wanted to do a Batman book that was lighter in tone and more fun. Uh, and he had a great time doing it. But it got to the point where it just wasn't working out with, with the company anymore, and that's why he kind of split huh. with them. And there's also a great thing where Yannick Paquette did his and talked about... Oh, I saw some of that, yeah. ...about the colorists and how they should be on the title of the book, and they need to get royalties. Like, that's... It's... it's, a, it's the reason why... He said the reason why DC doesn't get great colorists is because Marvel puts their names on the covers and gives them royalties, and DC doesn't. Hmm. So, it was interesting. It's, it's definitely worth a read. Um, it's some really great quotes by, by Yannick. Um, so my, 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 final, my, my final book of the week is a book called Self-Obsessed. It's by Cena Grace. Uh, it's a one-shot. And it's a very cool piece of comic book work because it's actually a collection. It, it, it's bookended by new stuff from Cena Grace, who does Burn the Orphanage and a little Depressed Boy. Oh, um, okay. I read, like a, I read a couple pages of it. So it's bookended by new stuff from him where he, he's kind of telling what the story is about. But what it is, is actually, it's comics that he drew and wrote as he grew up from different stages of his life uh, mm. that he's now published in, in, this, in this collected volume. Um, and it really kind of tells the story of a, of a kid growing up, you know, from being, um, you know, in, in, in school to, to dealing with, you know, kid emotions, to dealing with love and sex and sexuality and, and all of this stuff. All done in this art style where you see his art style progress from when you know he's very young to so he starts to get older and he starts to become more recognizable as the stuff that he does. It's it, it's really really cool. It, it's at times very very touching, at times very very funny. Um, just really really good stuff. Uh, there's not a ton to say about it because no one else has read it, but I read a little bit. Um, I mean, what, what you read of it? What did you think? <laughs> I honestly didn't I didn't I didn't groove on it as much. I don't think that I had the full picture, the full scope of what the book was trying to be. Mm-hmm. Um it came off to me as very self-indulgent. I mean, it's called self-obsessed, it's right mm-hmm. on the cover. <gasps> yeah. And I felt when I was reading it that I didn't I didn't appreciate it for it being this person's journey through comics and and in comics. I kind of felt like if I was buying the book that I was feeding your ego mm-hmm. in a way. And uh, I think that I had the wrong approach mm-hmm. judging by what you're saying about it, that it's this kind of this epic uh, story that spans, you know, a lifetime of creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think had I known that if that was presented to me that way, I would have had a little bit more time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad to hear that it, it, Wound up being something really cool, though. I might have to go back and check it out again. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just call it epic. <laughs> okay, it, it's well, if it spans a person's entire creative. It does, you know. but the cool thing about it is, it's not like he's not. I mean, he comments a little bit on on each comic that he does here, mm-hmm. but the cool thing about it is that 
it, it's almost like somebody created like a file. They're like, this is Cena Grace, you know? Mm, okay. We're like, this is the stuff that we found on him. And, and, and it, it's collected comics that he doodled or he drew. And one of them is a... This is permanent record. It's permanent yeah. record, exactly. One of them is, is, is a comic that he, like, he gave, like a zine he gave to his family around Christmas time. And it's really kind of scathing about, about, <laughs> about his family. But it was, it was very, very cool. And it's cool to like, get to the point where you start realizing that, you know, he might be thinking, oh, he, he thinks he, maybe he's gay, you know, but it, it comes out kind of in the work. It's not mm-hmm. something that's objectively told or anything like that. It was just cool. You know, it, it, it was something very offbeat and different from all the other stuff I was reading, cool. which is why I think it sort of because it wasn't mm-hmm. a it was nonfiction. It was a superhero. It wasn't a superhero book. His uh, his artwork or his later artwork kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Craig Thompson, the guy that did blankets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Habibi. Yeah, absolutely. So good. <laughs> oh god, those books were amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's a little uh, self obsessed by Asina Grace. Is that book? It's one shot from Image Comics. So um, I think what we're gonna do actually is we're gonna take a little break. Hmm. Then we're going to review Winter Soldier. And then if we have time, we're going to run over the sales numbers. Because I want to get to talk about Winter Soldier. I don't want to go any more I haven't time. heard a singular thought from you on this movie yet. <laughs> at all. Bob's heard about five, because I stopped by the store <laughs> when I was picking up food the other day. Ah. <laughs> uh, so we will have an awesome discussion about Captain America the Winter Soldier right after this. All right, we are back. The table is shaking, and it's like it sounds like a. Sounds, I'm not doing anything. I know, no, it's just table shaking in general, and it sounded like a train going through my brain. Ooh. <laughs> uh, all right, we are back, and we are finally going to do it. We are going to talk about Captain America: The Winter Soldier, opened this weekend to an astounding ninety-five million dollars. Yes, I was wrong with my prediction, but not by much. <laughs> I had said a hundred. It's the we biggest. It's the biggest opening weekend in April, uh, beating yeah. out Fast Five. I believe was the the previous owner of that that honor, and it, it surpassed it and is doing great worldwide. I think it's three hundred million uh, worldwide wow. at, at this point. Damn. Um, obviously, Captain America: The Winter Soldier is the sequel to Captain America: The First Avenger, and the sequel to the Avengers as well. We, yeah. we have to say, uh, Cap is fully cemented in the modern world and he is going on missions for shield but things might not be what they seem and someone from his past is coming back to haunt him um, mm. so that is the setup for the winter soldier just so you guys know if you guys haven't listened to one of our movie reviews before this is how it's gonna go first of all if you don't want to know anything about the movie you just want to stop listening if there's if anything is going to be a spoiler to you then you don't want to listen to the review. But you want to go and see the movie and come back. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want to you don't want to you do not want to listen until you've watched the movie if you're one of those people. If you don't care about um, small beats or overall impressions um, or, mo- or 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 earlier moments because we won't spoil any of the big moments, then you can listen for the you should listen for the beginning where we'll talk non-spoilery about it. Then for the second half of the discussion we'll go full spoilers. So we'll give you plenty of warning. 
but then we're going to talk about it kind of unbridled about what the movie is the movie's about and and the details and you know a lot of what it means for the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. So that's how it's going to work. Um, if you don't want to hear anything about the movie, you should stop listening now. There'll be another time where if you haven't seen the movie, you probably want to stop listening because we're going to spoil it. But we're going to begin our Captain America: The Winter Soldier review right now. Last week we did a whole history of Captain America, and I want to thank um, all the listeners who wrote in, um, mm. they, they, they really loved the episode. And of course that is 99% to do with Bob who, yes. who oh, came thank you so much. with That's a lovely. amazing, like basically would it be like a college lecture? <laughs> yeah. My <laughs> contribution was mm-hmm. Captain America. Um, so thank you, Bob. And people have asked, we are going to do more. They take a lot of time to put together. Bob did a lot, a lot of research before he put together. My house is still covered in Captain America comic book. <laughs> right. Um, we're working on a way to do some more of them. I know people have asked me for X-Men or Spider-Man. So we're going to, we're going to brew it. We're going to figure it out. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if we can do Spider-Man cause that's coming up really, really soon. Uh, possibly we can do a little something on the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, we, well, Bob, obviously his X-Men expertise ends at a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have to bring on someone like maybe Rob or something to mm-hmm. kind of fill in the rest. Uh, Actually, uh, didn't we have hmm. Rob for a Spider-Man? We did. We did, a, we did his anniversary. We did a little yeah. talk about it. It wasn't quite a history of it. It was more kind of like our favorite Spider-Man moments oh, right. type yes. of thing. Not, not kind of a deep history. I'm sure we spoke about some of the history of the character. And I know we spoke about some of the big moments. But um, we'll, I should link that to somebody. Somebody asked about Spider-Man specifically. So I should link them to that podcast. But. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can get Rob to come back for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But I think Spider-Man is a couple weeks, so I don't want to put too much pressure on everybody to get that done. Mm-hmm. Um, for X-Men, possibly. And definitely, I think we're all going to do some research and do something for Guardians. Because I think that'd be really cool to give people... Sweet. Because of all the comic book properties, I think that that's the one <laughs> that people need the most catch-up yeah. on, including probably people sitting in this room right now, yeah. other than the, the new stuff or the very old stuff, stuff that, yeah. that Bob used to read. There's a big middle portion that we don't know anything yeah. about. <laughs> Good through like 1977. Right. <laughs> After that, forget it. So the, look forward to those. Yes. But this is all about Captain America. Bob, mm-hmm. you put together this great history of Captain America. He's your second favorite character. Yes, he is. Behind just Ben Grimm. Behind Ben Grimm. So what did you think, Bob, of Captain America, the Winter Soldier? I'll I'll actually read something I wrote if okay. you don't mind. Absolutely. I'm, just, I'm a huge fan of Captain America, so it just warms my heart to see the general audience realize what a great character he can be when handled properly, when really just put out there with all his earnestness and heroism. And it shows you can make a movie mm-hmm. of a character who others might see from the outside as boring or a Boy Scout or whatever. Those core values matter. And they stick out so well here. I have to say, when I first speculated doing a Captain America movie before the first one even, the two years before, how are they going to do this? How are they going to find a way to do this without it seeming hokey? Mm -hmm. And they didn't. They found the right director the first time, someone to do a period piece. And out of nowhere... To hire the guys who write and direct Community (laughs) to do just to-the-wall political thriller with layers and depth and intrigue and tons of great action sequences, the choreography, these fights, and Mm -hmm. nothing is blurred or indistinct except the political aspect of it, Mm -hmm. where there's all sorts of stuff. It is so expertly done. This is right... We may never get to one of these lists, but this is right up there near the top for me in terms of the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Just really, really well done. 
caps values continue to shine through here, but now they're aimed at a different target. Yes. Who needs to get a little bit of a smack upside the head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Mara, your general impressions of the movie. Um, I'll just try to sum it up as best I can with this one thing that happened. Um, After all the credits, after all the little preview things ended, my husband and I looked at each other and we said, was this better than the Avengers? Mm -hmm. Was this? Was it? Well, (laughs) well, I don't want to say it is because what if nobody agrees with me? (laughs) um that was that was basically like what we left the theater with was trying to fit it in as far as quality of a movie Mm -hmm. um with everything else and of course everyone puts avengers at the top because it was a great movie right and we were just we were just sitting there like was this was this was this better was this as good as (laughs) um so i really loved it yeah i loved it so much steve general impression Loved it. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I really did. I've had time. I saw it Thursday night at eight o'clock. So I've had a good amount of time to really sit and let it resonate and let it just soak in. And I will say it. It is my favorite Marvel film of the solo Marvel ventures. I think Avengers is its own thing. It's a team movie and does things. Taking, taking the coward's way out, sir. Fine. It's better than the Avengers. Okay. It's better. I liked it better than the Avengers. <laughs> right. There you go. If I had, if somebody, it. yeah, if somebody made me choose, they said, you can only watch one for the rest of your life. I would choose the new Captain America. Okay. Uh, I was really, really engaged in what was happening across the board. There was not one moment of it where I wasn't either laughing, entertained, intrigued, um, and just... I like that it felt more like a super high-budget political thriller with a Marvel skin than just another comic book movie. Uh, I really, really, really enjoyed the additions of Falcon and the Winter Soldier as characters, uh, particularly Falcon. He might have been the standout for me. I really enjoyed his quips. I loved, loved the way that he moved in this movie. I love the way his equipment worked. Uh, I like that it was a like a mechanical, like a machine, that it, things can go wrong. He's not just, you know, flying. Like, But the whole thing about him being a pilot and not saying what he's a pilot of, mm-hmm. I thought was super clever. Um let me think. I love that without spoiling anything, I will not. I loved that what happens in this movie really marks the beginning of a new era in the Marvel f- everything from Agents of Shield to the film universe that just like Avengers this felt like the movie like I didn't feel that with Thor 2 that the things the events in Thor 2 were going to ripple out to the rest of the universe and really affect it very much it felt like it was kind of self-contained in a way but what goes down in Captain America is huge huge for for everything going forward stuff happens that you you will be unable to address that going forward in in the films that follow and uh all the little Easter eggs, name drops, and just stuff. I was just super, 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 you know, mm-hmm. excited for it. It delivered on every mark. And it still managed to, like, we did the book club of The Winter Soldier. And the question was, how much of The Winter Soldier, of the book, of Brubaker's, you know, work, especially him being a consultant on the film, how much is going to make that into the book or into the film? 
And the answer is not very much of it at all, but at the same time, it still managed to deliver the most important elements of that story. All of the like all of the crucial stuff was in there one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't have to look for it. It was very obvious. Cap's heroism. Uh, I like the way that they took a character from the book and kind of delegated her role to the surrounding characters that you managed to get all that stuff from the book just from other people. And when you do that, it could be a mess. It was very, very well done here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll wait until we go into spoiler territory, but I overall absolutely loved it. Just, I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree. Uh, I, I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's, above all else, it is a super assured, like Bob was saying, a a, a, a very well-directed action movie. I mean, it's got to be one of the best-directed action movies I've seen in the last five years. Bar none, you know. Um, Anthony and Joe Russo, I don't, I don't know. They obviously, the thing about being a director is you have to hire people that are smarter than you to help you make the movie you want to make. Yeah. They obviously hired amazing stunt people, but had a vision to execute that pervade this the, the entire film. I think that the writing uh, by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely is great. I think that they do an interesting job of adapting not so much the plot elements of the Brubaker story, but more the uh, the ideas and the tenets of his story. The, the things that the, the signposts that happen in the Winter Soldier comic exist here just in different forms and factors, but it has the same emotional journey that that mm-hmm. book has <clears throat> with, um, with a very interesting ending that I think a lot of people didn't expect. Um, I agree. I think that Anthony Mackie is a great addition uh, as Sam Wilson, as the Falcon, he has ownership of his character. He, he does things, him, black widow and cap are really a team who are, who are, constantly saving each other. It's not just Cap always being the one who saves the the other two. Um, Scarlett Johansson, I, it's amazing how far the character has come since Iron Man 2, mm-hmm. where where she had one really badass scene, but I feel like is more of a set piece than a character, to the Avengers, where she obviously has, I think, one of the best scenes in that entire movie, which is the scene with Loki in, her, in the her jail cell. The lambs moment. Yeah. yeah. To this movie where she really, this is, you know, this is Captain America and the Black Widow. You know, that's what this movie is. And that's a fantastic turn for the movie because it's the first time as well that both of those, both her and Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury, are are just as much people as they are badasses who swoop in and do do cool stuff. And, And then, you know, Vamanos when they're done. Up until this point, Nick Fury has very much been like the, I'm gonna say something cool I'm going to do something cool and then I'm out. And in this movie, you get to see him broken down and more human and dealing with, with things and emotions, which I thought was, was very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that what, what I, what I, what I love about it is that it's an, it's a big action movie that has at least a, something a little bit to say. It's saying something. It's not the focus that we look, their ideas of, of what government inter- interference is and, you know, spying and the NSA, all these things are present. They are very much um, over dramatic comic book versions of these right. things. But that is what they belong to be in a movie that is called Captain America the Winter Soldier. Right. This is not all the president's men, you know? It, it, it's a movie about a, super, a man with a super soldier serum in his body doing 
awesome, amazing things, you know? And it pulls all that stuff off a lot. Because I don't want people to think that, look, it is a... It's a more serious action movie than I think any of the other movies really have been. Yeah. It deals in more serious shades than I think any of the others have. But it's still a lot of fun. It's yeah. not it's not navel gazing to the point of being, you know, super serious. It's not let's say it's not it's not the Dark Knight, which is an amazing movie, but it's not going for that either. Yeah. You know? It's got a much more fun bent than that movie I mean, has. My thing with it is this, is that I mean I mentioned it being my favorite. I just Thinking back on the other films, and Cap One is certainly a contender, and I, you know, they're they're both wonderful films, but I don't remember being in the theater and just actively being as enthralled and interested in what was going on with the other films. Like the other mm. films, like they were tons of fun. They were a lot of fun. I'm having a great time. Blah blah blah. But I wasn't like gripping my seat. Like I was actually like the, the armrests mm-hmm. was gripping the armrest during this movie. I was holding my breath during yeah. certain scenes. I don't remember doing that for the other movies mm-hmm. at all. Like this, this movie, I was punching the air. I was so excited. I was in the back <laughs> row of the theater. Just, like, just, yeah. Just oh, I did. I, I did. Uh, I went with my, my friend Mish and I, I like, I only did it two times. I know if I did it too many times, she would just shush me or killed me. One of the two, <laughs> but like, I like leaning over and like, that's so-and-so. She's like, I know, Steve, shut up. It's like, I'm watching the movie. It's Chris Evans. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, sorry. Um, but again, what you were saying about before, the tenets of Captain America are still there. He, Chris Evans embodies the character, and I think Marvel, the cinematic universe has, Captain America is the character they've nailed the the best. They, that, that, that really feels like he's kind of torn off the comic book mm-hmm. page. we said it many times. Look, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance as Iron Man and Tony Stark is... I think something of a legend and his thing that started all of this, he re he reinvented that character. He took what was there and made it his own. Chris Evans has, has, has morphed into Captain America in ways that I really never expected. Um, and just like we talked about last week on the history, it's Captain America morphing to the time in which he is in his, his philosophy and his, his way of thinking and his idealism does not change because America decides it's going to be less ideal. He is going to hold them to the same mm-hmm. standards. And so like you were saying, his, his ire is turned somewhere else here, uh, which I think is pretty awesome. It's right out of the Engelhardt issue, which right. Yeah. Where it was in the wake of Watergate, where things had gone really sour mm-hmm. here and our position, the world had changed. Well, now we're looking at, it's the NSA, it's drones, it's our, our presidents having kill lists and starting mm-hmm. wars and whatever. And by over-exaggerating those into this sort of spy world, we can still make the point. Right. And may have people think a little bit and walking out of a theater thinking about it. Yeah. As well as punching the air. I saw it with Carolyn Coca and her review was effing awesome. <laughs> and, you know, the people at the theater were, were thinking exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's like, well, yeah, but it was this part and this part because yeah. it is a deeper feeling you're it getting is. instead of just, well, a lot of cool stuff blew up. Yeah. No, yeah. my brain blew up a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I will say this too. I think that I, Captain America, the first Avenger, is very close to being my favorite of the solo movies before before this round of this phase two. It's definitely my, mm-hmm. my favorite solo, my, the most complete to me phase one movie. The one thing it was lacking, I, I think, was great action scenes. Um, and I think a lot of those original, those first round of Marvel movies were lacking that. They were obviously lower budget. They, weren't, they dealt more in character, which was great. This movie, the fight choreography in some of these mm-hmm. action scenes is amazing. Beautiful. You, you yeah. really get to see what a man who was gifted with the highest peak of physical ability would be able to do 
once he had some time yeah. to be able to learn how to use it correctly. When he's parkouring around yeah. that boat. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. No. Oh, forget that. When he yeah. takes down an airplane. Yeah. 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 And it's, what I love about it too is it's, it's a, such a self-assured movie because it builds itself. That first scene on the boat, it, it, and this is not a spoiler, is, is, is very well designed. It has been doing great, cool stuff. It's the Bond pre-credit sequence. Exactly. Yep. But it builds. Every action sequence builds upon itself. It does not make that mistake that a lot of action movies make, which it it, it needs the first scene to be earth-shattering, and then you get to the final scene, and it's like, this wasn't as good as the first scene. Um, this movie has the benefit of, not only is the last scene visually bigger than the first scene, it also has a more emotional resonance. Mm. And... And we haven't talked too much about the Winter Soldier aspect of the movie yet, and that's to speak of how gr- great the movie is. That we that one of the best things about the movie we haven't even really spoken about yet. I, I think that the way they implement the Winter Soldier, the amount, the, how intimidating he is, the moment he appears on screen in the middle of that street, <gasps> the way he yeah. comes in and out of scenes, you know, I've heard him described many ways by a few people. This he, he's the ter- he's like the Terminator. You know, <laughs> that's how you feel about him because he feels like there's no way to stop him at, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And they do a w- great job of that. The moment, the big reveal moment with him in a packed theater is was one of those amazing moments in a movie theater because, um, you know, he's wearing a mask most of the movie. And I'm it, like, if you if you don't know who he is, I'm not going to spoil it right here. Um, you probably do because you're listening to a comic book podcast. Yeah. But we'll, we'll wait. We'll save it. Yeah. We'll save it. When it is revealed, when his face is revealed, the whole audience yeah. was like, "What? Oh, you can yeah. hear like gasps." Got a lot out. of that. A lot, like, an audible gasp from <gasps> the entire theater. And and I'll say, even if you do know things, it was still a very powerful moment. It was. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It was my real concern mm-hmm. with using this storyline. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll talk about it, of right. course, after the the beep. <laughs> that it wouldn't resonate as much with people who. Only you know, yeah. and yet, it, I, every I saw in the theater with three other people, right? <laughs> so I, I didn't get any of that except for the two of us mm. sitting there. But I'm hearing anecdotally and seeing on internet forums and whatever this uh, collective gasp that strikes me almost as you know Jaws. Why don't you mm. come down and chum some of this for a while? Right, yeah. And everyone in the theater backed up. <laughs> I, we're getting that there was a push from the screen almost. Mm-hmm. As that moment happened, that that speaks a lot to the writing and directing here. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I think that I, I think that's because it, you see that reveal through Cap's eyes because you care about Cap and you know what that means to him. That's why I think people react that way. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's attachment to that other character. I think it's attachment to Cap, and that speaks to how how well they've realized him, you know, on screen. And we talked about when we saw Thor. When I see Chris Evans like wearing a tank top, I'm like, I don't understand how a human being <laughs> can look the way you look. Like it, it he looks like a superhero. Yeah, it, it's He's pretty huge amazing. In yeah, this movie. Yeah, he was. He was. You know, he. It's just, I, I love how good, how how great it is. I guess like I watched the Avengers the next day, the next morning after me, I saw me it, too. because I was like, I need to watch it because <laughs> of, I was having the same feelings. And for me, I think I still lean to the Avengers. I watched that movie and the amount of just. It's not as doesn't have things to say like Cap Winter Soldier does, but I just have so much fun. There's like I'm just mm-hmm. breeze, I'm like I'm like skating on air watching the <laughs> Avengers, you know, every little moment. And I swear to God, I don't. It's like such a geek 
a, a geek weird thing. That scene where it's the circle of them and they are tooling up. Yeah, I yeah. almost start yeah. crying every time it happens. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what it is. I get like overwhelmed by the, the the sight of it. You said that you had a Winter Soldier theater story. Can you share that now? Oh yeah, I gonna... can share it now if people want to hear. But yeah, it should be it should be pre spoilers because people want to hear. So I, I went I went by myself. Um, I, it was oh. a it was like a I don't mind. I like I love going to the movies by myself. So it was. It was like a seven fifteen show on a on a Saturday night Ooh. opening weekend. Uh, it, it's good for me because I'm alone, so I can sit wherever I want. There's no need to find out seats. So I had good seats, kind of like halfway up, nice seats. I'm sitting there and it's packed and watching the trailers. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man trailer comes on, which mm-hmm. was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think it showed me a little too much, but yeah, what was there I loved. Well, I was, that's a rhino. I was amped after that trailer. I was like, I want to see this movie. Um, and so the next was the Guardians trailer. I was like, all right, here we go. Guardians, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in the movie theater yet. I'm ready for it. As soon as it starts, some dude behind me just starts like talking as loud as I'm talking right now to the, to the girl sitting next to him. Uh, and I don't know what this says about their relationship, but I didn't hear that girl say one word the entire time. This guy was just monologuing to his girlfriend <laughs> the entire time <laughs> they, were in the, they were in the movie theater. And he's talking about some shit. I don't. Uh, who cares? Like you know, it's some weird life stuff. It's not even anything funny or interesting. Um, you know, it's some drama at work he's having or something. Sounds about right. And it keeps going and going through the. And it's like halfway through the trailer, and he just won't stop. So I turn around and I went, "Shh, nice." And the guy looks at me and he goes, "Yeah, like the trailers are so important." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, well, I want to watch the trailers." And he goes, "Well, watch them on fucking YouTube then." I said, excuse wow. me, we're in a movie theater. I'm trying to hear the movie screen. If you want to have a normal conversation, go have it outside. And the girl sitting next to him has like this mortified look <laughs> on her face. Like she's like sitting back in her chair, like her eyes are bug-eyed. Ooh. And 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 he's and he's like, Yeah, yeah, whatever, fuck you. And I'm like, I'm like, just be quiet. And I turn back around. Ooh. And I, I hear him keep talking. He's like, Yeah, like all the other people are talking, like it's so important. And then the lights go off and he's like and he's like, no, I'll be quiet. <laughs> okay. And so that's annoying enough, this gentleman behind me. So I'm, or I'm fuming when the movie's about to start. The moment it goes quiet in the movie theater, right as the movie's starting, somebody like eight rows in front of me goes absolutely quiet and then he goes... <laughs> and then proceeds to do it every single time there's a quiet moment in the movie. Are you kidding me? Every single time. After the third oh. time he did it, I, I couldn't see who it was. Some woman sitting near me must have seen it mm-hmm. because she got up, walked down, and he, when she when a kid turned around, he's probably like thirteen or something like that. Yeah, and I just saw her lean over and say something to him, and he looked terrified, and then nice. was like, and just kind of like turned around and sat back down, and then didn't make another noise. I had to movie. I had to bust out the shush for one of the Harry Potter movies where uh, there was that courtroom scene in the mm-hmm. very beginning, and yeah. uh, there was like a big close up of mm-hmm. one of the characters, like you're ugly, and just completely obnoxious right. like, i think he got two comments out before mm. i stood up and i used like my my death voice yeah. and just yelled to him across the theater didn't hear a peep yeah. out of him the rest of the show yeah i got get, a couple of claps for it too i get movie rage i definitely get movie when i'm in a movie theater, oh it's, it's bullshit yeah. like you you not only did you pay money yeah. to sit in the theater and enjoy yourself but i mean they tell you right before the movie comes on shut up yeah put put your, your cell phones you know on vibrate don't text mm-hmm. don't you know yeah you it's a privilege to be able uh, yeah you paid your money but so did everybody else yeah it's not your fucking living room yeah exactly 
exactly. know, bore your bore your girlfriend after the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Mara, were you going to say something? I was going to say the second time I went to go see this movie in the row in front of me, and at the end of the row was a mom and dad and a baby. Oops! Oh boy. Yeah, and the baby was talking the entire movie. <laughs> and then the parents were talking to each other the entire movie in like <sighs> normal conversational Spanish. Like, <laughs> I was like, just because your kid's talking doesn't mean you can talk too. Yeah, I can't get mad at the kid. I can get mad at you. Silencio. Yeah, like <laughs> I understand that you're, you're two and a half. Yeah. And in a movie, you don't understand what's going on. Yeah. But That's when you parents. talk to the parents. Yeah. It was yeah. a, yeah. There's so much how much I liked the movie that I still absolutely loved it and had to deal with that BS Shit, the, man. during the movie. But, this is why I don't go to the movies that much. Yeah. I go for comic book movies and animation and that's it. So I, I always go to the movie during the day during yeah. uh, on weekends because I'm like, I just want to go to the day. There might be kids there, but at least they'll be having fun like, no. to deal with yeah. people just being jerks all the time. Yeah, not getting kicked in the back of the head or yeah, all exactly. the rest of it that goes with the crowd. And the dude was on his, I could hear him typing on his cell phone during the movie and they Fucker, started, started talking again during the movie. It was, it was not I good. hate that guy because I know that guy. <laughs> I've, I've ran into that guy <laughs> many times yeah. in the theaters it's one of the big reasons why i don't go anymore because i can't i can't deal with the crowds yeah so but despite that despite that winter soldier awesome awesome movie does anybody else have any non-spoilerific stuff they want to talk about before we jump in um i do want to say that this entire movie to me felt like a pilot episode for a black widow solo movie <laughs> yeah she's ready just just saying yeah. like she ready for her close-up mr demille yeah it's it's time guys it's mm-hmm. time <laughs> well, it it ends in a way. This is still non spoilery. Mm-hmm. Where to me, you've set up three sequels. Right. There's a Nick sequel, mm-hmm. a Widow one, and a, and a Cap one. Yeah. They're all there. They all have new missions. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think we'd get a Nick Fury solo film? They've talked about. It. I think you get a Shield Ooh, solo yeah. film before you'd get. You that would know, be smart. A, 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 a Nick Fury solo film, but they've talked about it hmm. um, a few times. Maybe it's on that board that Kevin Feige's got. That's he's got everything mapped out till 2028. Yeah, <laughs> it's madness. Um. Oh, and plus we didn't. Rob Redford as well brought some. Brought some oh yeah, glass okay. to the joint. Great job. The, I love about it is because it, we're at the point now where I feel like 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, someone with the the pedigree of Rob Redford, if he's in a comic book movie, he's hamming it up. He's like, I'm just having a good time. Mm-hmm. He's taking it seriously here. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. Which is really awesome. I do want to ask before before we move on to spoiler talk, is there anything um, negative that any of us want to say about the movie? Mm-hmm. Any nitpicks that we have that aren't spoilery? Yeah. All right. I, I have go ahead. One quibble. Mm-hmm. It is PG thirteen. Yeah. And that's fine. There, in the chase scene that you're seeing in the trailers, mm-hmm. I won't say who's involved in here. Right. I'm trying to stay away from that. But there's an awful lot of really close up gunplay. Right. So people should be aware. It's a little untoward that the the action is in the rest of the movie. Now you don't see shots, you know, Tom Savini Dawn of the Dead shots of brains exploding or mm. whatever. It's not like that. But it is it it's a little frightening if you're eight, ten years old and your parents may have brought you in figuring, Well, yeah. it's a Captain America movie yeah. and there are Nazis and ray guns mm-hmm. and whatever and tank shooting laser beams. Yeah. It's a little up close and personal. Yeah, it definitely is a little more intense. Absolutely. It's yeah. probably more intense uh, than any of the other movies as far as the, the mm-hmm. level and the, I, I use this word in big quotes, realism of the violence. Right. I think for me, my only real criticism really comes along that line. And it's much more of a philosophical criticism than anything really to do with the Winter Soldier because 
this is the way action movies are in general nowadays. Uh, and it's one of these times where I'm actually going to agree with something Mark Millar said earlier <laughs> this year or last year, whatever it was. There's a lot of violence in the movie. There, there's a lot of killing in, in the movie. Most of it's bad guys. There's also yeah. good guys who get killed. Um, I'm not talking like heroes here. I'm talking very like, I'm talking like, you know, red, red shirts uh, yeah. of people. <laughs> sometimes the violence, sometimes the when it's hand-to-hand, it's kind of ingrained that it you can feel the violence and the power behind it and you can you can feel the weight of it. But when it's gunplay, you have to you have to either emphasize that weight or it just feels like a video game. And I feel like some of the violence here is just it's people getting shot and they you don't feel the consequences of it, you don't feel the reasoning of it. There's not a lot of, of play given. Again, this is not a criticism against the Winter Soldier. This is the way action movies have been being made for a very long time. It's just scenes like that there's a the, the the ending action sequence let's just say that there is a myriad of destruction that conveniently avoids anything major i feel like that convenience is a little bit it's a false note to me mm-hmm. um and that's a spoiler so i don't want to get into right. too much of what that is but it was some of those violent moments where i felt like this movie does such a good job of being present and being aware of the consequences of actions because that's a lot of what the movie's about right so the movie is about when you do something there's a consequence to it it's a lot of what this is about those consequences were kind of left off the table again it's done in the avengers it's done in most of the movies that have big scale destruction and death and action movies but you know it's funny because after seeing a movie like um the latest bond movie in, in skyfall the violence there is very much earned right it's very much you feel it when something happens you feel it you know, it's what Mark Millar says about Kick-Ass and what he said about Jim Carrey speaking out against it. Yeah, there's gun violence, but you see how gruesome that gun violence is here. That doesn't happen here. I'm not saying it, it should look like Kick-Ass, but I think that at times it, it goes a little loose. So it glosses over it a little glosses bit. glosses over the violence a little bit. Again, it's a symptom of all action movies nowadays, or probably for a, not all nowadays, for a very, very long time. Probably since there's been big budget action movies. It's been... Yeah, uh, the, probably the 80s. Yeah, the 80s, 80s yeah. Once yeah. you go to the Arnold... Yeah, Stallone era. Exactly. So that's my, that was my only disconnect from it, and it's the disconnect something you get from video games too, right? Which is like the Uncharted games. Nathan Drake is like a really cool dude. Yeah, he's murdered eight thousand people. Yeah, like that's <laughs> what happens, uh, and that's kind of what I felt here. These people cared so much about human life and saving people and all this stuff, and then and then stuff where people just get killed in bursts of like 20. I always wonder about that. Like I was watching Game of Thrones. I was mm-hmm. watching the first episode. I yeah. will not spoil anything because I know people will kill me. <laughs> but the way that they off people, and I know that maybe it was the times or it's just the style of story or whatever. But I mean, you got characters that are carving through like nine people in a room. Yeah. And they just get pissed off in a bar because they don't have the you know proper ale and yeah. you know somebody spits on their shoe and they, yeah. they just off like nine people, grab some chicken and they leave. Yeah, but that violence is gruesome. <laughs> yeah, oh man, it was so good. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, I uh, that if you're gonna show it, you have to accept the, what what happens. Yeah. When you shoot a bullet, it's killing somebody. It's not, it's not a, right. a, a BB. You know. Yeah. So that that was my only disconnect with the movie. Um, and that's that. Listen, that that does not take away from my enjoyment. I still absolutely adored this movie. Yeah. But that was the one thing for me. Uh, I don't know how you would get around that though. You have to be, I don't know, but I'm just saying like, uh, you have to, if you're going to have people just killing people, because for me, it's like, if, not for me, because I know that if you shoot somebody, it's going to hurt and it means something and it's very violent, but it, it's what leads to 
uh, you know, uh, a disrespect for the power of weapons, hmm. you know, and I, I'm not saying that Hollywood is responsible for anything. I'm just saying like, if you're going to show violence, let it be, you have to let it be violent or you have to back off of it a little bit. Yeah. You know, in some cases it's a little in between. Yeah. It tries to have it both ways. Yeah. And that, yeah, for both of it, we came at it from different places. But right. It's the same argument. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think where it does do a good job, I think everything with the, with everything the winter soldier does, you feel it. I think you feel it mm-hmm. pretty much all the way through. Mm-hmm. It's just some of the more random stuff that happens. Um, Mara, did you have any, uh, any, uh, critiques? Um, I just have one. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be stupid, but you know how Natasha's hair is straight in the entire movie? Yeah. There's one scene where it's actually like it gets wet, basically. Yeah. And when people straighten their hair, it gets wet, it gets curly. Mm-hmm. And then in the next scene, it's straight again. And the place where they're at, I'm like, you know, the dude's house, he's, <laughs> he's not seeing a girl right now because he says he's not. Yeah. And why does he have a straightener? <laughs> like what what is going on? It, it drove me crazy like the entire movie and they're like how does she straighten her hair maybe it's part of her like utility belt she, she uses, was, she uses she the was, widow's bike she yeah civvies <laughs> she was like it's true she didn't she, have a backpack she just came with the the hoodie on her back she yeah. probably just threatens it in the mirror yeah <laughs> that's that's my only that's the only thing i can think of that she does is just stares it down yeah um, she gives it the scratch of hands and eyes and then it just straightens yeah, that, that really like took me out of the movie for a good 10 minutes i don't understand that <laughs> actually i know what straightened her hair was the trailer for the other movie she's in oh god yeah that'll scare you to death. Yeah. Like, i can understand like, having a minor quibble for for a detail like that but to let it take you out of the movie for minutes at a time okay i mean I guess it's different for for guys and girls, but for me, I'm just in there like, how did she do that? For some, how did for, she do that? Speaking personally, for somebody who who maintains and cares a lot about his hair and does weird stuff with his hair on a daily basis, I I feel you, but I think it's okay to let it go. Like I'm I'm still worried about how she straightened her hair. Like it's still <laughs> it's still bothering me. And it's been like, it will bother you forever. Maybe they'll cover it in the Black Widow solo film. We'll, yeah, get, we'll get that deleted uh, scene. Yeah. That's it. It's part of the deleted maybe. scenes yeah. for Winter Soldier. It's going to be one of those like uh, like black and white, intense, high contrasty flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> like she's having a dream. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. She's got a regular steam iron. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say too. There was a one. There's the one time where her, her and Chris Evans are in their civvies. And they're like in the Apple store or yeah. whatever, that, that scene. <laughs> and I'm looking at the two of them and I'm like, there is an unfair amount of beauty happening yeah. on this movie screen right now. Especially they're trying to ugly up and it doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah. I like the dude though. I like yeah, the guy yeah. at the store. Yeah. Hey. Hey, <laughs> hey man. <laughs> Just ask for me. Yeah. I like that because I like it because he wasn't like a stereotype of like a geek no. in a computer store. You know, he was just kind of like, hey, I'm just a dude. Uh, yeah, we so we moment, learned a lot about him in the short time that he we was did. on screen. We did learn a lot about him. <laughs> He's going to be a super villain in the next one. Yeah. It was funny because uh, I was I said this to my fiance, Karen, and she was and she's like, I don't really don't know what Chris Evans looks like. So I took out a pic. I took uh-huh. <laughs> my funny show to her and she goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She goes, okay, stop stop showing it to me because I'm feeling uncomfortable. Like, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. She goes, he's very attractive. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's going to do it for our non-spoiler talk about The Winter Soldier. If you haven't seen The Winter Soldier and you don't want to know anything about the major plot points, stop listening now because there are huge things that happen in this movie that have ramifications for the rest of the MCU. So this is your last chance now. 
All right. So let's start off with the Winter Soldier himself. It's the least of the spoilers for people who know anything about the comic books. But Bucky being the Winter Soldier, I was I was surprised at how much of a secret they kept it from the audience the entire movie. Hmm. I thought it was going to be more of a surprise for Cap than anything else and not really a surprise for the audience. Because of what you said before, Bob, I had the same feeling. I was like, are people going to remember who Bucky is after, you know, after that first movie? They did a good job of recapping him and, and giving Steve enough uh, wistfulness about his past and, and, and showing... They use that museum exhibit very, very yes. well as a plot device to kind of catch you up on the first movie and catch you up on his emotional connection. Uh, so I was surprised about that, but I thought, like we talked about the reveal before, I thought it was a, they did a great job with it. And the struggle going forward, that they hinted at it just enough about his history to leave it open enough for another movie that's going to feature Bucky, which is obviously coming, and they've yeah. said now that, that it was always meant to be kind of a two-part story of Bucky kind of redeeming himself and coming back. So I thought it was a great first part for that. I also loved that we got the hint, not the hint, but the description of Natasha having run into him before because that is a, that's a thing with those two characters. So it was cool to have those, those connections. Um, Mar, how did you like the way they handled Bucky in the movie? Um, I wasn't aware that it was a secret, (laughs) um, to be honest, because remember when, um, that second Star Trek movie came out and they're like, Oh, it's not con. It's not con. Deny everything. Yeah. Yeah. This movie, they weren't even hiding it. Mm -hmm. Like, like what's his name? Sebastian Stan. Yeah. Sebastian Stan. He, I mean, he did all this stuff. You saw him everywhere. You knew he was going to be a big part of the movie. It didn't take much, but two and two together. Right. And, um, I, I, I guess I was in a theater. Um, I did the first time I saw it, I saw it as a double feature with the first Captain America movie. And then the second one. Mm -hmm. And, that moment when the mask came off and he looks up and he pauses like one woman as loud as can be screamed. That's his best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody in my theory who was like that too. <laughs> like, like she screamed it. Like she could not keep it. together. Yeah. I got the, I got the gasps in my audience yeah. mm-hmm. and there were two girls sitting in front of me that the entire movie they were hand in hand, like fingers wrapped around each other. They all, all their arms just pumped fists up into the air. The yeah. three arms worth of fists. Yeah. So funny. It's so funny. Well, you've, you've, you've set Cap up in such a way that he's lost his entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get to see Peggy first, which is really poignant. Great, oh, great God, scene. that scene. Oh, yeah. my great, God. Great, great scene. Heart. Yeah. So then you end up with, oh, no, it can't be the only thing that mm-hmm. mattered to me, and here it is, and it's come back to haunt me. Yeah, what are I, my failure from seventy years ago is now blowing things up and killing people? All right, yeah, oh. yeah, I absolutely. Think, I think the biggest, um, the the biggest thing that broke my heart in the movies when he and Natasha are talking about um, nobody else would have the similar life experience as him. That mm-hmm. yeah. he's not going out for dates. He's not looking for someone. Because he's just like, there's there's nobody out there for me. Mm-hmm. Except Bucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Bucky is not not all there. Yeah. And you just you just feel even more for him that both of these men are displaced in time mm-hmm. and they need each other, but it's just oh yeah. man. It just hurts. I feel so bad for both of them. <laughs> now I, I there's a little catch for me here too. 
the record that's playing when he walks into his apartment when mm. Nick is sitting mm-hmm. there, that that's an old song called It's Been a Long, Long Time. Hmm. <laughs> and it's a, just a really sad old song. And right. it's just those, it's those little extra moments are all in there too. Little yeah. tiny, we'll remind you how sad it is to be this guy left out of time still playing records. Yeah. Yeah, it's and true. not in some hipster way. Yeah. He's, he's playing records because <laughs> that's what he knows. He's yeah. got a stereo. Absolutely. He's not drinking a can of Paps. And <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> oh, Paps. Uh, I can go on a rant about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys are saying about Bucky. I think that they did a wonderful job. And the look on Sebastian Stan's face when he has like that hint of memory about who he is. Um, it, and that scene where... Uh, you know, he's in the chair and they come in and, you know, he, he's asking who the man was and, and, and he said he, he knew me. The, the pain on his face trying to remember, you know, who he was and remembering the pain that he suffered, I, I thought was was pretty fantastic. Um, I also love I loved that scene on the highway, that fight scene on the highway with mm. him and Cap and Black Widow mm. and Falcon. I loved her in that scene. I just loved how yes. smart she was in that scene, all the stuff she was doing. It's just like in the Avengers, she doesn't have the strength. You know, she doesn't. She doesn't have anything. She doesn't have anything superhuman about her. It, she just has her wits and her training and courage and her courage. And it's great that moment with the phone on the uh, behind the tire. <laughs> yeah, I was like, she's not there. She wouldn't just talk like that. And no. then they showed the phone. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great stuff. The way she just, you know, the, all the stuff she did. I loved how you know that scene. How heroic Sam was in that scene. Mm-hmm. Really, really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I love the Bucky stuff. I I, I, I was like, I, I wonder how emotionally affected I'm going to be just not being entrenched in that world, and it, it totally got me. I love that moment of heartbreak when the, the mask falls off yeah. and he sees him for the first time. Yeah. It was like, it felt like the whole theater kind of slowed to a crawl, mm-hmm. and that, that moment lasted at least a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just that shared look between them. And I mean, you're talking about pain when he was sitting in the chair about to get his, his memory uh, wiped, but that was powerful too. But that, that moment where cap first sees him. And like you said, knowing what it means, maybe not to the audience, but knowing what it means to cap mm-hmm. to have him there and to see him and just to have his suspicions be confirmed. And it's, it's a testament to both actors and yeah. and the writing team, mm-hmm. you know, the like Bob said, these people that, you know, they're grabbing people from strange corners of the entertainment universe and giving them a shot to do something great. And holy crap, did they yeah. nail it? They 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 really really did. And I mean, we we said that at the beginning. It's just like I can't believe that these guys directed this movie <laughs> for for how it's just so well made. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know. It's the the action, which is one of the hardest things to do when you're not an action director, when you don't have, you're not seasoned in it, is is flawless. Yeah. It's flawless action. It's you you're never confused for one second about where characters are in relation yeah. to each other, what's happening. There's so much geography happening at times. People are on the ground, people are in buildings, people are up on helicarriers, and you're never confused right. about how, how people get where and when it happens. And even the up close and personal things, it all makes sense physically. Yeah. Absolutely. Where it's not some out of body experience. How do you get from there to there? Mm-hmm. I know you're superhuman. Wait mm-hmm. a minute, this c- couldn't have happened. And yet, in all this action, they managed not to lose the personal, the human, the deep emotions in all this. Which very often action movies tend to be. Oh, here's the 
token scene where you're supposed to feel something for somebody. We're going to kill mm-hmm. the superior officer of whatever bad cop it is. And blah, blah. No, mm. it all means something here, whether it's Nick in his yeah. situations, mm-hmm. a great moment with Maria Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I have a question. Yeah. Okay, this is for you, Bob and, and Bobby. You guys are very, very much into film and movies. Mm-hmm. Going on the idea of these guys that, work on community coming over to do this movie. What do you think goes on in the hiring process or behind the scenes? Like how did these people get this shot to do this? How the hell, like how do you think that works? If you listen to Kevin Feige and what they say about the process is they just kind of, they feel out people. And apparently Feige is a a gut guy, right? He's like, Hmm. you know, these guys have directed a movie before they've directed, they directed you, me and Dupree. So they've made, but the thing is like they've made a Hollywood movie. So they, they, they know that they can be trusted with a budget and they can, they can Mm -hmm. deliver a film. So there's that at least for them. Um, I I think Marvel takes interviews with people and, and takes meetings with people and just feels them out. They must because putting cap two in the hands of, of people that have never done something like this before. That is a huge gamble. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is. What we don't know is how many people were vetted to get mm. to this place. Were, were there 14 mm. directors that they picked from other television shows and went, uh, thanks, but no thanks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they have made amazing choices across the board. And John, we talked the other day, John Favreau? Yeah. I love John Favreau, but Iron Man? You're right. <laughs> As a comic book guy, but what in his resume said mm. you you could make this hip-swinging playboy action movie with Mm. science fiction overtones. I think it has something to do with, um, I don't quite remember where I heard it, but I heard in a documentary somewhere that Marvel wasn't concerned about making superhero movies as much as different types of genre movies with superhero elements. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, that's kind of the process that might be going through their head. I mean, I don't know anything about film, but I'm thinking like, if you want to make a good action movie, hire someone who can deliver on that and then throw in your superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, so far they have made, I always talk about this, the Hulk is a horror movie. Iron Man's science fiction. Mm-hmm. They made mythology with Thor, World War II, and mm-hmm. now a 70s political thriller. Yeah. All in, the, as you described, the, Steve, the superhero skin. Yeah. But they're all informed by their core genre elements. Yeah. And that makes them different than right. the movies that are made on the other side of town that are yeah. sort of... Okay, Man of Steel, like it or hate it, mm. it was a superhero movie, and a lot of stuff got broken. Mm. It's interesting. It's interesting. They 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 seem to be. Feige seems like a very savvy guy. You know, he seems like a guy who knows that he can't keep making the same movie over and over. If they're gonna make this many a year, they can't be the same movie done over and over again. Uh, so I think they go with the people that they think can differentiate. But they also go with people, and this is either a criticism or a a compliment. They don't want. They don't want you know um, Christopher Nolan they don't directing want or, or a tour. Yeah, they don't yeah. want they don't want a director who wants to control everything. Be, Chris uh, Chris Evans <laughs> Chris Nolan makes amazing movies. He mm-hmm. makes genius blind. There's some Inception is Memento. They're blindly genius movies. They wouldn't fit into the world that they're creating. So they all seem to pick people who will also kind of toe the line. You know, they need to people who are who are talented who can make the movies. But are also the kind of people who are like, I want all the control, you know, of what's happening. I want to write it. I want to, you know, you know. They, they kind of found that in Joss Whedon a little bit. Joss Whedon now is kind of their creative overlord in a lot of ways. <laughs> but I think it came organically and not someone who just wanted to grab that, that power. 
but he, based on his other work, is also someone who loves collaborating. Yeah. So I think you're getting people who want to fly under the radar a little bit mm. because they're protected by it. Yeah. We have a certain level of expectation of how great this movie has to be, what numbers it's going to put up, drive our giant story forward, but there's still a lot of room to play. Yeah. It's sort of the Hitchcock with the actors. He, You had a hit a certain mark people described him as controlling and those terrible quotes attributed mm. to him you know i never said actors were cattle i said if you treated like cattle it's different <laughs> <laughs> but it was I, my camera is set up i've storyboarded everything but i don't care how you get from one end of the room to the other you just have to get there you bring to it what you need to bring to it and i think these directors are having that freedom within we're here in this lovely marvel universe so many great things can happen I can tell a story. I can tell my story and theirs at the same time. And yeah. that's, that's a special kind of director willing to subjugate his own yeah. desires and ego a little bit. But wow, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're crazy choices. A lot I of love them. Thor, it turns yeah. out. You know, <laughs> yeah. He gave them a four-hour history lesson on their own character <laughs> when he went into the meeting. <laughs> so, And I love the way the Bucky stuff wraps up. I love that Cap throws down the shield. Yeah, big moment. And basically says, oh. like, you can kill me because I'm not going to kill you. And Bucky ends up saving him. Yeah, that's know? what Cap would do. Yeah. The only, this, is, this is a small nitpick and I couldn't talk about it before because it was, it's spoilery. The whole idea of, like, I have this computer chip and it's going to fall off the side of the helicarrier and I'm going to get it, but he punches me. I'm done with that scene in movies. Like, that, yeah. that scene in movies has been <laughs> so... Many times. I can't blow out the fuse on the big bomb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, just That scene could have been just as good without the threat of that computer chip falling off. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the other, the other kind of big reveal here, which goes hand in hand with the big moment at the end, which is that Hydra is kind of grown within S.H.I.E.L.D., is, is everywhere in the government, and is setting up this Project Insight to kill all of... High, potential threats to Hydra. Mm-hmm. We discover that Gary Shandling's senator, who was <laughs> yeah, in Iron Man Two, who was in Iron Man Two, is is a, a member of Hydra. Robert Redford, who we spoke about before, is is a member of Hydra and is essentially the big bad of the movie. That moment in his kitchen, yeah, oh, yeah, that's a fantastic scene. Yeah. Really scary because I because all of a sudden you see the Winter Soldier there, and I was like, wait a second. I was like, is he here to help him or kill him? Because I wasn't yeah. sure mm-hmm. what was about to happen. Yeah. Um, have you heard about the, there's an Easter egg in that scene? No, I have not. In Robert Redford's refrigerator are jaws of Paul Newman's tomato sauce. Oh, really? And <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, well, there's the other one. We'll talk about the other one, the Nick Fury one yeah. in a couple minutes. But uh, Mara, how did you feel about the Hydra storyline and, and the way it kind of wrapped into the end of S.H.I.E.L.D.? You know... I kind of like it, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. Um, Hydra was this huge thing. And I mean, think about like, okay, think about Star Wars when Darth Vader and the emperor were taken down, the empire still trudged on, like it wasn't put down immediately with their death. And mm-hmm. same thing with uh, red skull. You would think this huge organization, I mean, it's not going to fall apart immediately. Someone's going to come and pick up the pieces and mm-hmm. let it live. And it makes sense. Um, to try to hide it. But I just can't, I have a hard time buying the fact that it's been in shield for like what, 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the shield is full of like spies and people who are good at reading other people and picking up on those things. And I don't know. 
part mm. of me likes it a lot, and the other part is like, I don't know how, what, okay. <laughs> Bob, it's what a do you movie. Think? Get over it, Mara. <laughs> uh, well, see, first of all, there's a lot of things from some of the later Nick Fury stuff, Secret Warriors, whatever, mm. where they, they went to this where Hydra actually ran S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. and it wasn't just a rogue elements within it. So I think this is better done here than trying to say that. Right. That's just what Mara's saying. How would mm. that go wrong? As a history nut, hearing them use the term you know, Operation Paperclip, which is the real government program where we got Nazi scientists out, and that's how we had Werner von Braun and all that other stuff. Right. But in the midst of that, you have to remember, there were spies in the Manhattan Project. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? There was a city in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, and they got a, the Russians had a spy in who mm -hmm. sent atomic bomb secrets while it was being built to the Russians. When Truman went to Stalin at Potsdam to talk to him about, I have this brand new weapon, Stalin already knew. He mm -hmm. knew before Truman did. <laughs> so it is possible. And we're, we're tightened reality, so you right. just have to go with it. I thought it was really, really well done here that you had people like Sitwell, mm -hmm. who we trusted from other pictures. Right. You know, Senator Stone, not so much, because right. he was a jerk in Iron Man. Yeah. But here, right. it, wow, that, that really hit me. Yeah. It's, and you're telling a story about spies. There are always spies spying on spies. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, a central aspect of the Captain America story, right? Mm -hmm. The Hydra organization. Oh, from the very beginning, which yeah. ties into one of the post-credit sequences. Right. So I thought that was interesting. Steve, what did you think about it? I thought it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I was completely sideswiped by the whole thing. And it was it happened, and they revealed it. And it, not just in S.H.I.E.L.D., but like everywhere. Well, yeah, but the, the 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 focus of the movie obviously is, is the right. But aspect. they but they they did kind of like a montage mm -hmm. of events throughout history. Be like, we were here, yeah. we were here. Remember this? Yeah. Remember when everybody had a problem with that? Yeah, we yeah. were there too. And we're kind of responsible for the terrorism and all the terrible things that are keeping you know we've been readying the nation mm -hmm. this whole time. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just like blown away by the scope of of this mm. and not to mention the the balls of taking shield out of the equation by the end of the film thinking about the ramifications of that and and how that ripples out to other things this is kind of what i was talking about before when we were doing non-spoilers agents of shield the show tonight is when we're recording this the the episode that's airing tonight a lot of people aren't watching it that haven't seen Cap because they know that it's going to be dealing with the fallout of mm. Cap 2. And I just think that that's really cool. Like This is the first time in history, really, that something that's television and film has done something to this degree. Mm -hmm. It's been done before on small scale, but never like this. Yeah, right. Um, all of the Marvel films going forward are going to have to deal with not having S.H.I.E.L.D. in them. We're going to have to decide what we're going to do with them. Is Tony Stark going to fund the Avengers? Are they going to open up smaller cells of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Are the people that weren't corrupted that were involved, are they going to have like splinter cell groups set up? I don't know. Mm -hmm. They kind of addressed that um, by then the movie showing Maria Hill interviewing at Stark yep. and Agent 13 slash Sharon mm -hmm. um, at CIA. And I cannot for the life of me remember if Stark Tower had only the A on it or his name. I think Tumblr told me it was just the A. I yeah, think I so. think so, yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, which sets up for him privatizing the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. which I'm and sure that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 I also think that down the road, 
you're looking at Chris Evans not wanting to be in these a lot. Yeah, but he, he he totally backtracked on that. Really? Yeah, he was like he was like no 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 no. He's like I I, I don't. He's like I kind of blown up blown up proportion. He's like I said I want to focus more on directing, but I'm obviously not going to stop acting. That's what he okay. said. Okay. Oh. Yeah, that's what he. It just happened like this past week. Oh, good. Yeah. Because you could end up as they did in the book, Steve Rogers running Shield. Yeah. Yeah. Because Shield will rebuild mm. because mm. there are threats beyond what the CIA can handle. We know that in real life. Yeah. Do you, do you think that at some point between Avengers 2 and Cap 3 that we might see Bucky take up the shield? Uh, uh, I, I think so. I think that might happen in Cap 3. I think yeah. definitely you might you, you might end up seeing that. I I thought the idea I thought the idea was very cool. I loved that they did the bizarre ass Armenzola. Yes, face oh my in god. A machine <laughs> thing. I thought that was so clever yeah. as to how they like modern day how do you do this yeah. without it looking ridiculous oh, yeah. with a guy running around with a television in his chest yeah. so what do you do you turn him into an artificial intelligence yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Was really like, cool. that, I, I, that was when I geeked out. If I yeah. had to name like the biggest geek out moment in the movie, that was my geek out. Because yeah. I was sitting there and I, I, I clapped my hands over my, my mouth. I went, <gasps> and yeah. my friend Mish had no idea. She's like, is, is that Armin Zoll? I'm like, yes. And she's like, why are you freaking out? I was like, because it's, it's just so cool the way they're doing it. Now shut up. <laughs> so yeah. good. I went, I went, holy shit. And a great <laughs> great way to deliver the information yeah. as yeah. well with, with it, it seeming natural and mm-hmm. not being just like a deluge of all this crap that, oh, if you missed or if you haven't seen the other movies, this is going to be your 10-minute catch-up. It was very, very natural. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And coming on the heels of that, it's Fort Lehigh. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes all the way back to Cap 1. Yeah. yeah. They did a good job tying together all of that, all of that mythology. Um, so I thought it was cool. You know, I, I think it's, it's a good way to change the status quo, right? It's a good way to say you thought it was going to be this way. You, you kind of, you probably in your head could picture kind of what the Avengers two was going to start to look like. Ultron was something kind of Ultron Shield was going to be like we get we need the Avengers back. Now mm-hmm. that can't happen that way. So how do they come together? How does that work? Uh, really cool. Ah, so excited. Yeah. Plus, we got this. Got to hear Robert Redford say the words "Hail Hydra." Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which I don't think anyone ever thought that would ever happen. Now tell me, what is the thing? Because I, I, I know that something sounded familiar to me, but I'm not so familiar with Pulp Fiction. I think mm. I've seen it once. What was the Easter egg well, it's for? On, it's on his tombstone. Yeah. The path of the righteous man. Yeah. It's the biblical quote that Samuel Jackson. Oh, I, Jackson, don't, I, I yeah. don't know that part. You need Look to, at the big brain need, on Brett. Yeah, you need yeah. to watch Pulp Fiction again. But yeah. that's the I more, remember something about a cheeseburger. It's the more pressing factor. But it's the thing yeah. that he says when he like comes in before he kills... Everybody. Okay. Um, yeah, so the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the wicked man. Yeah. So um, that was really... I didn't pick it up until Bob mentioned it to me. And I was like, oh, right. Say yeah. what again? <laughs> yeah. I remember that. That was genius. Yeah, that that was pretty awesome. Um, I want to ask you about quickly, how do you feel about the way they handled the Falcon? And how do you feel about the way... that We got little, very little of it, but the Sharon stuff. Very well done, considering this is now their cinematic universe. Yeah. So we we don't have the Falcon on the Island of the Exiles and the Red Skull, Mm. but what you have is Sam Wilson, caring fella, social worker, their meet cute, so Mm. to speak, on on the road, on on your left. Yeah, on your left. As he circles the the, the moat 47 times to his one. (laughs) On your left. Right. You instantly have a connection Mm. with these characters because they share a history. It's separated by 70 years, but it's veteran. Yeah, and that speaks to some. When Steve goes to visit him at the VA, mm. wow, 
what a powerful yeah. moment. And you can see why they would then connect later on and why uh, Natasha and Steve would go there mm. as a safe haven. The Sharon, it's the nurse across the hallway. Yeah. And it, when it turns out to be his bodyguard assigned by Nick, I thought it was clever, as, as Mara pointed out, that it's just Sharon. Mm-hmm. Sharon with no last name. Yeah. Sharon. For now. For now. And we'll get to that. I think we've put into place, if they are going to do Steve Englehart's Cap of the 50s, which seems like mm-hmm. it's a good way to start, yeah. how much other stuff will get pushed into it. Mm-hmm. They're putting the team in place. The movie ends with Natasha saying, Steve, you should call that Sharon yeah. girl. And since she had one of my favorite moments in the movie, when after it's the second favorite moment to me because mm. the first one is Cap making that speech yeah. at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters mm-hmm. where it's, I know what the price of freedom is. And yeah. I got a little weepy. Yeah. That, that's, that's my Captain America <laughs> right, right yeah. there. And when that tech doesn't want to push the buttons, mm-hmm. and she starts pointing her gun at uh, who will be crossbones somewhere yeah. down the road, captain's orders yeah come on <laughs> yeah that's sharon so you're gonna see sharon and sam and steve go off as you know thelma louise and louise or whatever mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> go have a nice little road trip somewhere i can't wait i think they really served all those characters very well yeah sharon had 10 minutes of screen time but yeah they were a real great 10 minutes yeah you you, you start to see who she is mm-hmm. they start to develop you know who she is as a person and i think that they did a very good job um Anyway, when there's a quote from Joss Whedon, you know, uh, I think last year where he talked about how he he was he was very upset about the lack of female representation in you know comic book movies, and I think you've seen since the Avengers that ramp up when he's kind of been in control of the overall picture and bent of these movies, and here you get moments from Sharon, little moments from Sharon, little moments from Maria Hill, and they're all badass, self-assured people. Who you know don't need anyone to save them, and I think that's that's awesome. That, that I think that as far there. as like representation in a movie like this, the thing that stood out to me most was um, that moment when they're trying to decide what to do with Shield, mm-hmm. and it's Cap, Nick Fury, Sam, Maria Hill, and Natasha. And if you look at that, it's one white dude, two white girls, and two black guys. Yeah, all yeah. sitting at the table trying to figure out what to do. And I was yeah. like, is this the first time I've seen this? Like, <laughs> Diversity. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm still like amazed and impressed by that. Yeah, absolutely. And these there's these little moments that just pop out in my brain. I mentioned that moment where you know Steve is talking about the, the Winter Soldier, and you see Natasha, you see Natasha's face, like the fear on her face, and a similar one with her later on when she's gonna she's hacking into the the, the Shield database and she's gonna really leave it, and and he says to her, "Do you really want the world to know who you are?" And she has that moment where she stops. Yeah, and kind of you can see the. The, the war in her head at that moment. I love the moment with her in the courtroom. Yeah. When she yeah. delivers her little thing about yeah. herself. Yeah. Like, you can't touch me. Yeah. You don't, Absolutely. You don't, nothing gets by unless I say so. Yeah. She was just fantastic. And I think they've done a wonderful job of really carving out a section for her in that universe and making her yeah. an important player. She feels, after this film, she feels fully realized mm-hmm. and established and well, well worth exploring a solo film with her, you know, maybe before Cap 3, mm. where they, they all go off and they all go do their own thing. And she has to, you know, take care of some stuff in her ledger. Now that things are out there about her, if her identity and her, you know, missions and such are made public or not public, but are available to, let's say, her enemies, mm. have a movie where one of the people that she infiltrated and really screwed things up for them 
that they're still around and they yeah. have a grudge and they're gonna go after her. Mm. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe the guy whose feet she put up on his dashboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned this, Bob, when we talked at your, uh, for the couple minutes at your store, the the chemistry between Chris Evans and and Scarlett Johansson was really fantastic. Right. In civvies, just yeah. hanging out. You know, I'm 95, not dead. Yeah. <laughs> and they they just go. It's two regular people. Yeah. And, you know, we all have, we all have places we're going to, going to your job, and they're mm. going to their job, but in between there's talk. Yeah. You know, they're just getting ready to throw Jasper Sitwell off the roof. Yeah. And, and it's, well, what about that girl? What, you mean with the lip piercing? Yeah. No, that's a little too much for me. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. I love, yeah. that. <laughs> I love that line from him. I think for those two, it really helps that they have a history of working together. Yeah. Like, they, they've known each other before these Marvel movies, and that they're, they're comfortable, and... You know, it really shows on screen that these two characters have that kind of friendship yeah, and respect I, for each other. Yeah, I love that line where, you know, she's talking about the scar. She goes, bye-bye, bikini body. He goes, yeah, I bet you look real bad in them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great little moment. But yeah, it, it, it would really, great performances, good script, great action, really great movie. Let's talk quickly about the post-credit sequence or the mid-credit <sighs> sequence um, where we get uh, Baron Von Strucker. And we get the revelation and the reveal of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch possibly being created by some <laughs> experiment with the, the Cosmic Cube or, or the Scepter. Because mm-hmm. we need to explain their origin now some way, some way other than them being mutants because aren't allowed to be a mutant nope. in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'd love to see the lawsuit that would... Yeah, it's a word. Yeah, it's a regular word. They're yeah. calling them the X Men. We're calling. Yeah. but in that context, it. I think it's. Uh, yeah, yeah, be, it would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Now, Baron Strucker goes. He's in Nick Fury War Comics, Sergeant Fury War Comics, and all the way back in those Strange mm. Tales, Nick Furies, and Tales of Suspense, he's the Supreme Hydra. He also has his own kids. Mm-hmm. Now he's a World War II character, so it was fine for him to be in the sixties. That's not that character, right. or is it right, kept yeah. alive by the, yeah. the scepter? Because if that scepter belonged, it was the the tesseract, the cosmic cube falls in the ocean. Howard Stark picks it up, and Steve doesn't think he should. So Hydra's in control of Shield has been in control of this mm. since World War Two. Right? Yeah. Anything is possible. Yeah. But he had his own twins, mm-hmm. Andrea and Andreas who were both dead and cloned and then dead again. <laughs> Comic books. Comic books. <laughs> uh, so those twins could be them. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't think so. I think it is Pietro and Wandra, but as you say, created. Yeah. Stolen from some poor mom in Latveria mm-hmm. or wherever they're right. going to say this yeah. is from. Seeing them in those cells or whatever, they're being gestated. Oh, yeah. Lord knows what's going on. Seeing a guy with a monocle, that was a geek moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's Baron Von Strucker. Yeah. Now, he is in the uh, David Hasselhoff Nick Fury movie. By oh, the really? Way. He's, in a, he's in a tube. He's, in, he's under ice, and the, the daughter and son are around. <laughs> but he is a great character and one of the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. biggest bad guys of all. Mm-hmm. So it was fun to see that. Yeah. A lot of fun to see that. And we get our little glimpse. We got a much bigger glimpse of those two characters than I really expected to. I expected mm-hmm. maybe names, and that's it. And maybe shadows a, or something. Yeah, shadows or hints. Yeah. Mara, what did you? What, how did you feel about the little bit we got of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch? I I was practically punching my husband out of excitement. <laughs> <laughs> Could not contain myself, and just that that one that last moment of her before this whole screen goes black. Mm-hmm. 
oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so ready for the destruction that she's going to be causing <laughs> when she's finally on screen. I'm like I'm 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 just over the moon about it. Like, I was you know kind of trying to figure out like you know they always kind of tease you know movies pretty far in advance now. Mm. I was like so it's not going to be Guardians because that's coming out too soon. It has to be Avengers too, but would they really like show it this this soon? But they did. It's awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> um, I know we. Had a, I, I can't for the life of me find it anywhere. But What's we, up? We had a listener who wrote into us on some on something Facebook or Twitter or the forums or an email who asked who was criticizing maybe the that Marvel was setting up things too far in advance that they were. Wondering if it was going to be. I think a, I saw that. Yeah, I don't remember where it was. So my hmm. brain is like freaking out right now. Um, so I'm sorry to the listener who sent the question in, and I'm not remembering even the full question or what it was said. But because he mentioned something about Thanos. Yeah, about not being Thanos, not right. being not being the Avengers two. Like, are people going to care? Are people sticking with it? Is anybody except comic book fans going to even care about these these callouts that they're making? About what do you think about that? I think they are because what's going to happen in the new world of well, I can look it up or I can mm. watch it on YouTube or I'll just put the DVD in, which we all did before going to see this movie. Right. Everyone right. primes their own pump, so to yeah. speak. Everyone's going to know. I didn't mean it that way. You're just <laughs> filthy. You know that. <laughs> That's some reputation I have. I can't say anything without people taking it dirty. <laughs> you're, you're just What's going on here because because you're you're so kind and you're so all of all of those types of words. And then whenever you do say something even remotely close to being sexual, it cracks me up. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, Bob, continue. I, I think honestly, those things will still resonate if they get to Thanos in Guardians. Mm-hmm. Or down the road, because apparently we're going to, we we'll, may see Warlock in that, which mm. then ties that into this. People will be ready. Yeah. And well, we're, we're already seeing them film the Avengers. We, we're mm-hmm. seeing what, to me, what warms my heart. We're going to see Cap's kooky quartet. Right. <laughs> we're going to see Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and Captain America as the Avengers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. From, you know, issue 16 and up for the mm. next couple of years. Great. I think we're going to get some Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy because I don't yeah. know how you're going to get we around it. Yeah, with having yeah. Nebula in there yeah. and not Gamora, like you're going to have you're going to have to at least talk about him. Yeah, well all the characters yeah. in Guardians of the Galaxy are directly affected mostly by there you go. by Thanos. And that that prequel comic that they had that came out this past week, the Outland oh, Landing, uh, it was all about mm. Nebula. Uh, it was pretty cool. Hmm. Really 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 cool. Uh, you know, for me I think that I look at someone like who reviewed Thor with us, Jeff Mm-hmm. Jeff doesn't read comics. Doesn't doesn't. I don't think he's. I mean, he's read one or two in his entire life. He is fascinated by all of this stuff. Like the, these, like post credit sequences. He loves them. He he loves to ask questions about who they are, who are these people, what, what does it mean. I, I I don't think it's an issue. Um, we had another. I mean, what do you think, Mara? Sorry. Uh, what was the question about? Did do you think that the all this kind of spider webbing and setting up these branching universes and characters that aren't going to show up for years? Is it going to be? Is it a problem for Marvel? No. Okay. And they've already shown us that they can set up movies and people still get excited about it and talk about it and theorize. It's all going to be good. Yeah, I totally <laughs> agree. I mean, look what the Avengers is as big as it was because they spent five years setting it up. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. <laughs> From one, what you could almost take as a throwaway scene of yeah. Sam Jackson showing up to talk to Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Now I just watched the Hulk again last night, which mm-hmm. I really think is un- is really underrated. Mm-hmm. The Edward Norton. Yeah, one, yeah, the Edward Norton. The other one. one. <laughs> that, that wasn't really theirs. The, the yeah. second one was. 
the scene where I think it really finally tipped over that all this was really connected in a special way was Downey walking into a bar mm-hmm. to talk to William Hurt, who's who's drinking grasshoppers or whatever, right. pounding <laughs> back drinks. Reload. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you should talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like wow. Yeah. And it's, oh, holy moly, they made this happen, and it's it's planning and trust in the source material that people do want to see. I've said this before. The Marvel movie universe, in a lot of ways, replicates the 60s comic book universe. They did something special. Look, Superman and Batman appeared in World's Finest Comics and the Justice League together, but the books, the the regular books, never connected to each other. Whatever happened in Superman didn't impact what happened in action or in detective or in Mm -hmm. Batman or anything else. And Stan would have the Fantastic Art be flying down the street and there would be Spider-Man hanging off a building. (laughs) You know, the Fantastic Four's lawyer was Matt Murdock. Right. And it all tied together. And these movies, beyond replicating the tone of the, the Silver and Bronze Age Marvel books, has this everything's connected. We're not sure how yet. We'll throw it out there and see what goes down. Look, we threw out as a, uh, here's a throwaway, on the target list is Stephen Strange. Yeah. 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 Uh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> They knew too. They they yeah. they were like, yeah, people are gonna freak out when they hear this. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I freaked out when I saw Nirvana on his uh, must listen to list when uh, Cap was making his list of uh, stuff to to yeah. listen to. Yeah. yeah, so it was different for every for every release and every well every country or the majority. Yeah. Oh, of really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah each in France, it, they, he listened to Daft Punk. Oh, cool. Yep. <laughs> there was another one, wasn't there? Well, there's one in Australia where one, the show he's supposed to watch is Skippy the Kangaroo in England. <laughs> and- and in, Steve Irwin, yeah, is in, on Australia right. list. In England, is uh, Sean Connery's on the list as well as you know World Cup '66. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're they're in their pitching. They're, they're, they are. They've got things going everywhere. Now, uh, I want to see the target list. I don't want to see the to do list. Yeah. I want to freeze frame the target list. Yeah. And see what other superheroes are getting name checked. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We need, we need a freeze frame. <laughs> so it was this this John D uh, on the ah, site. Let the comment. And the other part of the comment he asked, too, was that um, he, his only nitpicks have to do with the Winter Soldier himself and how the movie didn't explain a whole lot of his origin, such as why he spoke Russian, or that he kept getting cryogenically frozen after each mission, only to be woken up years later from the same routine. Um, the movie touched on it, but I feel like it didn't explain enough for someone that hasn't read the comic. My opinion, John, is that I think you are bringing more to it because you've read the comic. I don't think that those questions will be even thought of by a lot of people who who don't who, mm-hmm. who haven't read it or don't know the story. And I think they're saving it for another movie. They want, they want to tell more about Bucky in another movie. They, yeah. This movie's about the reveal and about Cap dealing with this other stuff. The next movie will be more about Bucky and, and his history. I think they give you enough to know. They show him being frozen. They, t- they wipe his memory in the movie itself. So I think they give you enough to kind of intonate but not explain it all to you. I think they give you enough to know what, he's, what the purpose that he's supposed to serve as far as a character. Yeah, right. Well, and keeping that information from Cap, I think, makes it sadder for him. What happened to Bucky all these years yeah. that he is that person and still young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, we got the, the background from Black Widow about the, you know, the, myth- the mythological uh, Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier yeah. and explaining how he's popped up throughout history at, you know, these pivotal, pivotal times in history and has been an assassin. I mean, I think you could put it together from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. 
Because yeah, doesn't Robert Redford mention about he's been out of cryo a little too long? He's starting to remember. We yeah, put yeah. him back in. So yeah. you sort of know what's going on in between. Yeah, I mean, Mara, what do you think? Um, as far as like Bucky's role in the whole movie, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think they did a good job. Uh, part of having a character like that is making up the backstory for yourself. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of um, counterintuitive to a lot of movies, but it's, I like not knowing everything. Yeah. I like sitting there and just fantasizing, like, what has this man gone through? And seeing these little snippets of him um, getting his memory erased or coming in and leaving and, and uh, people being shot just for looking at him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that element of mystery. I don't need the explanation. Right, yeah. Uh, I'll make one up myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I believe this is the same John D. because he wrote an email as well. Another slight criticism of the movie, but he had a question on, on this one. Um uh, he says, now, one criticism I have read of the film is how it doesn't make logical sense that the rest of the Avengers wouldn't get involved since, slight spoilers, the, spot in, the plot involves S.H.I.E.L.D. being compromised. I know as comic readers, this is something that's easy to overlook, but from a film standpoint, I think this is a valid criticism. Marvel has done so much to set up their cinematic universe that it seems strange that no one from the Avengers would be involved in the company that they work for being attacked from within. I'm just wondering if you think this is a valid criticism of the film how you reconcile this, not as comic book fans, but as movie fans. Bob. Okay. Oh, oh wait, go Mara, ahead, go ahead. No, Mara, go. I was going to say, at the end of the Avengers movie, it doesn't feel like they work for S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Because I agree they go you. off on their own thing. Yeah. Um, and to me, it makes sense in the context of this movie that the people who are there right now are the only people to handle it. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have time to call Thor. We don't even know where he is. The Hulk, Bruce Banner just goes out, you know, in India doing his thing. And Tony we'll just make wise ass remarks the whole time. Like you just, the only thing is where's Hawkeye. Like that's, that's my biggest mm-hmm. thought during the whole shield thing. But no, um, from the, the movie standpoint, it didn't seem unnatural not to have anyone else involved. Right. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Bob, I, you? No, I would have said all the same things mm. because as you remember, Sam Jackson saying, we can probably find them when we need to, but they, they've earned this rest. Right. They're, they've sent them all away. So Hawkeye could be simply recuperating, though I've seen pointed out that apparently you can see Natasha wearing a necklace with an arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Hanging yeah. from it. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're connected, and that's, maybe it's in a deleted scene somewhere where we hear a, a description of that. We do need to, if, otherwise every movie will be the Avengers. Right, exactly. So exactly. We, we need to have these moments, and so much of this was happening... Smaller scale, though, car chases in the middle of Washington, blowing things up and fights on the highways and Captain America taking down airplanes hmm. might attract the attention of Iron Man. Mm. Might. Right. But not necessarily. He can handle it. He's a big yeah. boy. He's, you know, he was a capsicle for years. He oh, yeah. needs some workout. <laughs> so it's just a matter of buy the premise, buy the flick. And yeah. if, if we start to get that to it, it's, well, why are they wearing costumes? We get back to the, oh, should we wear yellow spandex? Right. We've finally gotten to the point where now we've got regular audiences accepting the conventions of our little mm. hobby here. Let's let's not drag this other stuff back into it. <laughs> right. I know. I totally agree with you. I think that you're absolutely right. I think the point you made that every movie can't be the Avengers because the Avengers is the Avengers because it's special. Yeah. When Avengers 2 comes out, it's going to be like, all these people are together there again. I haven't seen this in three or four years. Mm-hmm. Even though you've seen a Cat movie, you've seen a Thor movie, you've seen an Iron Man movie, you haven't seen them all working together. 
and I also think that the point of the Avengers is they come together for global threats that are going to destroy the world. They're right. not mm-hmm. they're not for the the situation that all these people can handle mm-hmm. themselves. Um, I think you absolutely like there, there. There was a moment in Thor two where I was like, the Hulk should really be here right now because there's like a giant <laughs> monster running through yeah. the middle of the yeah. the city or something like that. But we also don't know in the in the fiction of this universe how these movies are happening in relation to each other. Right. Where are those here? What are they dealing with yeah. at the moment? Because th- these movies could theoretically all be happening on top of each other mm-hmm. in, in in some way. You know, Iron Man could be stuck in the you know in the wilds of South Carolina or wherever he is in the movie at this point, although that movie takes place in the winter, so probably not, but well, he could be re- rebuilding his whole deal. Cause he yeah. blew the shit out of everything at the end. Of, whoop. Sorry. No, it's fine. All right. Um, <laughs> you can spoil the end of Iron Man three. He just, yeah. he, you know, he pulled the, he pulled the trigger and, yeah. and blew up all the shit yeah. and he's got to rebuild essentially from the ground up. Even his little helpers are all broken and yeah. torn apart. But I mean, I feel like we had this conversation actually when Iron Man three came out because I brought it up but I was like, Oh, where's this person? Where's that mm. person? And I had to learn that, I mean, we have comics all the time that come out that yeah. they're, they're, it's called Captain America. It's yeah. called Iron Man. And there are just, there are some threats that are isolated in that you trust your team to deal with it. Yeah. You know, if Hawkeye's off somewhere saving a, uh, his neighborhood for, you know, a, a week at, you know, a span of a week and all this stuff goes down, maybe there wasn't time to, to reach out because everybody's too busy trying not to die. Yeah. And Hawkeye is on a mission or like you're, or you're saying, or like maybe Iron Man is dealing with his own bad yeah. guys at the time. But if you want to... there's no Avengers bad symbol yet. Yeah. But if you want to tell me how I reconcile as a film fan, I'll tell you right now. It, there is nothing less interesting in a narrative than a hero fighting the entire movie and then having somebody swoop in at the end and save him that wasn't part of the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's not interesting. That's not satisfying. That's what they call it Deus Machina, which is a god in the machine, which is and all of a sudden somebody reaching in and helping you the last second who has nothing to do with the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Some otherworldly force. Or, or, so it's like The Expendables too. Yeah, it's like a lot of movies that are, a lot of movies do it, then those movies yeah. are not very good um, as far as story goes. So that's how I reconcile as a film fan. If I go to see Captain America, I'm not going to see Captain America and Iron Man or the Avengers point five. I'm going to see Captain America, and that's the movie I want to see. It has Black Widow in it, which is great, you know. But mm-hmm. like same thing when I see Iron Man, like I would love to see an Iron Man and Hulk movie, <laughs> some <Yeah>. science bros. <laughs> but I would then I would want to see a science bros movie, not just an Iron Man movie. Same thing with Thor. You know, there's so much to do in the Thor universe. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's they haven't they've really done anything outside Loki. Yeah, in the Thor universe. Yeah, I don't need it to be to be weighed down by other characters. I want to spend my time with Thor in that movie. Yeah, you know, same thing with Iron Man, same thing with Cap. There should be any distractions there, and that's story sanctity, not comic book sanctity to me. I want to see the movies I want to see done right, and they can't do that if you just stuff everybody in mm-hmm. just to do it. Boom. Yeah. Is it is it Iron Man two where he's watching the Hulk? fight those sonic cannons that no he does that in um the, the avengers when he pulls up the no but i think it's in uh, the, the scene where he's in the is in his lab and he's got oh the, maybe I, th- I have a funny it's possible. feeling because that's where they they said okay iron man 2 is taking place at the same time as the Hulk. oh yeah that's right there's and, a tv report of yeah fighting it oh that's Colby right university yeah hmm. and to me the weakest of the movies is iron man 2 and that's because it is that it's trying to be a bridge 
to the Avengers. It's trying to be like, look, we're almost the Avengers. Like, Black Widow's here. Nick Fury's here. And in that movie, I don't feel like Black Widow fit. Yeah. You know, she had a cool scene, but she didn't really fit. Mm-hmm. So right. that, to me, that to me is the reason why you don't do this, why you don't just stick people in. Yeah. Plus, I want it to be really cool when I watch the Avengers. And I'm like, look, Cap and (laughs) Iron Man are back together. I'm going to build it back up. Yeah, exactly. Get the band back together. Exactly. Exactly. It needs to be a moment when they get all back together. That swooping scene, that that 360 camera. It's going to make me cry again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that is our thoughts on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I think it's probably my number two on my list of Marvel movies. Mm Mm-hmm. For me, official Marvel movies or the whole counting the, Fox and Columbia? the MCU. Okay, the MCU. Three for me. Three Number for three. You. What? What's Avengers? The first Cap, and now this one. Mm. I have a, I have a, I have one on my list that n- nobody at this table agrees with. What's that? Iron Man three is probably my third favorite. Okay, probably goes. Ave- yeah, probably goes Avengers, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Iron Man three, first Cap, then first Iron Man. It's probably my. It's probably my list. Mm. So that the top five, I guess it is. Uh, yeah. All right. So I think Phase Two has been awesome. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Uh, so that's gonna do it for our our talk of, of those of the of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have a ton of backed up listener questions, so I think next week is gonna be a listener question a thon for you guys. We have a ton of stuff on the forums, and email on Twitter, on Facebook, so much stuff. That's what we're gonna do next week. Um, really quick, I just want to run down these numbers. We're not going to really talk much about them, but people become used to us announcing them. So I'm just going to do the top 10 here. Uh, number 10, Uncanny X-Men, 19 point now, 64,000. Number 9, Walking Dead, 124, 64,000. Number 8, Silver Surfer, number 1, 64,000. Number 7, Superior Spider-Man, number 30, 75,000. Number 6, Daredevil, number 1, 76,000. Nice. Which has got to be like... 50,000 more than last, last month. Uh, number five, Superior Spider-Man number 29, 76,000. Number four, Sandman Overture, uh, 89,000, which is a pretty good hold. Yeah. yeah. Consider how many months in between. Yeah. <laughs> number three, Forever Evil, number six, 92,000. Number two, Superman Unchanged, number six, 94,000. And number one, Batman, number 29, 116,000. Damn. There you go. Yeah, a lot of Marvel debuts did pretty well. Ghost Rider was at 50, Captain Marvel 44. Yeah. Moon Knight 58, yeah. Magneto uh 55. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Good good stuff. Um Magneto number 2 was really good. Really? <laughs> really really good. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was really good. It really was. It went from like, "Oh, I'll pick up the next one to see it. I'm definitely going to keep picking it up. It was really really great." Do you I know we can't get into talking about all the yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. Uh Moon Knight number 2. Yeah, yeah. I got but, some issues with it. Yeah. Because nothing the fuck happens in that book. Yeah. It really bothered me. I looked at it in the store and put it back down. Yeah. I have to say. It's well written. It looks beautiful. But nothing happens in that book. Yeah. It's, it's like little... it's like the beginning of a voiceover narration and that's it. In a world. Yeah. It's basically all it is. The end. Which is a shame because that first issue was so good and so crazy. Hopefully it, it doesn't go this way the Speaking whole time. Speaking of in the world, people, you should see that movie. What? Oh, the Lake, Lake Bell movie? Bell, it is very, very funny. Mm. What is it? In a world, yeah, <laughs> she's the daughter of a of a movie voiceover trailer guy, and everyone's trying to get what's his name Don. Okay. Uh, what the, movie is this? It's called In a World. In a World. Yeah, has the, it been the, released yet? Yeah, yeah, it's on yeah. DVD. They're, they're hiring someone new to bring back that phrase, and so there's <laughs> a whole competition to see who gets to be the person. Oh, who that's kind of cool. I'd be in interested in that. Yeah, yeah, it's a quirky rom com at some mm-hmm. level, but also a scathing industry satire. It's just. That sounds pretty cool. I don't know this woman from 
Adam, mm-hmm. literally, and she's just very funny and winning. And yeah, Lake Bell is great. Yeah, hmm. yeah, she's great. Uh, all right, so let's talk about what's on the shelves uh, right now. Good God, there's so much. So, um, from Aspen Comics, we have Lola XOXO number one from Boom Studios. We've got Clive Barker's Next Testament number eight of twelve, Deceivers number four, Lumberjanes. Yeah, number one, Noel Stevenson. I know. Regular show skips number six, returning number two of four, and Sons of Anarchy number eight. From Dark Horse Comics, we have Creepy Comics number 16, Star Wars number 16, and X number 12. From DC Comics, we have Astro City number 11, Batgirl number 30. However, it's a fill-in. Yes, it's not Gail Simone, it's Margie Bennett, correct? Yep. Yep. Uh, Batman Eternal number one, the beginning of the Batman weekly series, Coffin Hill number seven, Constantine number 13. We've got Green Lantern Corps number 30, FPP, FPP, FBP, Federal, <laughs> Federal Bureau of Physics. We've got Justice League 3000 number 5. We've got Royals Masters of War number 3 of 6. Scooby-Doo Where Are You number 44. Superboy number 30. Superman Wonder Woman number 7. World's Finest number 22. From Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Badass number 2 of 4. We've got Cryptozoic Man number 3. Oh, sorry, no, that's not... Not verified by Diamond, so I'm not going to... Hmm. Flash Gordon number one, which is Jeff Parker, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, we've got King's Watch number five. We've got Lone Ranger number 23. Uh, Magnus Robot Fighter number two. I still love him. Twilight Zone number four. Uh, from IDW, we have Dead World Restoration number five. We've got G.I. Joe Special Missions number 14. Indestructible number five. Judge Dread number 18, Max Maximized number 6, My Little Pony, Friends Forever number 4, hmm. excuse me, Powerpuff Girls number 8, Rocky and Bullwinkle number 2, Rogue Trooper number 2, Samurai Jack number 7, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Color Classics Volume 2 number 6, and the Trey Back for Triple Helix. No oh. Transformers again, Bob. Wow. It's like a month without... Yeah. I think so. Like three weeks at least. Hmm. Um, it's all a conspiracy, Bob. It is. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, they like, listen to the show. Yeah. It's like eight weeks in a row. I, was I know. Home. From Image Comics, we have East of West number 11, as yes. well as East of West volume two. We are all one. Trade paperback. Pick it up. Great Pacific number 14. Invincible number 110. Manifest Destiny number six. Peter Panzerfaust number 18. Savage oh. Dragon number 194. Shotgun Wedding number 204. Shudder number one. Spawn number 242 and Walking Dead number 125. From Marvel Comics, we've got All New Dupe number one. Yes. All New Ghost Rider number two. All New Ultimates number one. All New X Factor number six. All New X Men number 25. Um, Wait a second. Oh, here we go. Avengers AI number 11. Avengers Undercover number two. We've got Captain Marvel number two. Um, we've got Daredevil number 1.50, which is the 50th anniversary issue of Daredevil. Is that Mark Wade and Chris mm-hmm. Hemming? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 50 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Deadpool number 27. Um, we've got Iron Fist, the living weapon, number two. Number one. Number two. Uh, number 1.2. Number 1.2. Iron Fist, the living weapon, number one. Iron Man, number 24. Kick-Ass 3, number seven. Uh, we've got Mighty Avengers, number nine. Nightcrawler, number one. Chris Claremont. Yep. Secret Avengers, number two. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number 11. Uh, We've got Thunderbolts, number 24. And What If Age of Ultron, number two of five. 
Uh, we've got that's it for Marvel. Hmm. Let's see what else we got here. From Valiant, Bloodshot and the Hardcore, number 21, Unity, number 6. From Xenoscope, Grim Fairy Tales presents Ascension, number 3, Robin Hood Legend, number 2. And that is all you're getting on your shelves this week. I got on 15. That's not bad. No, it's not. No, it's really not, considering other weeks. That's really not bad. And there are four number ones. That's if I hold off on a couple that were like Iron Fist, I'm, I'm shaky. It's a number one, dude. I know. Yeah. And I'll probably cave. Yeah. But for right now, for as of this moment, recording this podcast, I'm at 15. It's a good number. <laughs> it's, not bad. it's not bad at all. Bob, you got some books in front of you. I feel like you want to say something. Yes, I do. And I, before I do the end of the show, interrupt and make a mess, I made a little post the other day because I got very cranky. I forgot that the 7th was International Misfit Day. Oh. For those who don't remember Charlotte Gage Radcliffe from back in Birds of Prey, she was this teenage girl who was sort of pretending or wanting to be... Batgirl. Okay. And then became sort of an adjunct to the, to the Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. And if you go over to Gail Simone's site, there are all these great little pieces of mm-hmm. artwork and funny stuff. And she apparently, Gail was saying in one post that she pitched an idea to DC of all the sort of younger mm-hmm. birds, as sort of a baby birds book that would have been mm-hmm. Stephanie Brown and, uh, and Charlie and all in a... She's been saying that she's been getting offered things left and right and has had to turn them down, like painfully, painfully turning them down. Including She-Hulk. Um, and also, Gail Simone, uh, Deadpool number 27 is the first time Gail Simone will be contributing to a Marvel book in over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, happy belated International Misfit Day. Birds of Prey 96 to 98 is where she's first introduced. <laughs> Mara, Stephanie, and Melissa missed a great branding opportunity. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. What's up? I know, right? <laughs> You guys got to get on the phone with your uh, your your manager, your PR guy, and yeah. uh, figure out what hell happened. Get t-shirts and scream out "Dark Vengeance." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so I think that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, facebookcom slash Comics, and podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Of course, go to talkingcomicbooks.com for all the articles, reviews, videos, podcasts myriad that we have <laughs> that go up every week comment uh send in feedback let us know what you think um that's really what keeps us going and keeps the show moving is is your guys' feedback uh we had a great week last week with the captain america week um you guys really responded to the history show uh great numbers as well for the steve Inglehart show uh and it just it just made me think like you know we have a we have a good listenership now and now when people come on the show to talk about their stuff, there's a chance that they're actually the sales will improve if they come on our show. <laughs> but there was a time where people came on the show just out of kind of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah. And I was thinking about those people today, and um, I want to write something to them on Twitter so they can actually see that we're thanking them. But I do want to thank Mar- Mars. Like, screw this, I'm out of here. I'm gonna eat some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I really I want to thank um, Curtis Weeb. Uh, Alan Kistler, mm-hmm. Brian Bucciolato, who came on, Brian Bucciolato came on the show, he's writing The Flash, he came on the show and we were getting like 80 downloads a week, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's, it, it's donating his time for really nothing other than to just talk comics with people who, who loved his work. Um, and one of our first guests, Andrew Foley, who wrote, uh, yep. was it, what was the name of the book? Oh my Done god! To death. Done to death. death. Which Fiona Staples was the artist. Fantastic book. If you guys haven't gone back that far in talking <laughs> comics history, Done to Death, Andrew Foley and Fiona Staples. It's yeah. awesome. So people like that who who came on the show when there was really nothing for them to gain, 
thank you so much. And of course, uh, Scott Snyder as well came on the show when we barely had any listeners as well. Nope. Um, I just wanted to take a second to think back and thank those people because they helped us get where we are right now. Didn't Joey Esposito come Joey on Esposito, early that, too? And that's actually the reason why I even thought of it because I've been talking to Joey. We're going to do something cool because Pawn Shop is coming out weekly on Comixology and he... And we, we're coming out to do something cool, like commentaries every week or something, every month when mm-hmm. the book comes out. And he was actually the reason, thank you for reminding me that I, I even thought of it, because Joey did as well, came on the show and talked with us when we, we had very little, there's very little upside for him yeah. <laughs> to come on the show. So thank you to all those people so much. And thank you to everyone who's been listening and writing in since the beginning, the people who came on the middle, people who are just coming on now. Really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you how to, you can get in touch with the show. If you got in touch with any of us, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve. I am at dead underscore anchoress on Twitter. Mara. At Mega Maramon. Mara knows she has to say it like that because once she said it normal and I got mad at her for saying it normal. And Bob, your email address. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. All right. So that's going to do it uh, this week. Next week, we're going to celebrate listeners, listener question show. Let us know what you thought of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Write in, please. No spoilers on Twitter or Facebook, but podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Let us know what you thought. And also, we've been getting requests for more histories. We can bring them to you. We want to. If you guys have any specific, specific ones you want to do, let us know so we can prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's all the business there is to talk about. Stay tuned for all the other podcasts on the network. You'll see them coming up. Um, so for Steve... Hail Hydra. Bob. You beat me to that, you creep. Good night. <laughs> and Mara. I really want to say Hail Hydra, too. Let's do it all together. <laughs> I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. Hydra. <laughs> <laughs>